listeners, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble, a podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and being tolerated today is my good friend, Eric, as we cast the final spell of spoilers over the chilling adventures of Sabrina, focusing on episodes five through eight of the final season. Hi, Eric. Hey, Jen. How's it going? Good. Good. And you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, trying to trying to stay warm right now <laughs> yeah yeah damn winter time i know but, right <laughs> you know i want summer i'm ready to kind of be outside do something out there right i mean lay on the grass yeah or just <laughs> sit in the driveway or you know sit in a lawn chair and just soak up the rays have a cocktail you know Waving to the neighbor across the street, you know, don't get too close to me, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. Exactly. Weird, so. weird times still. Weird times. Oh, yes. Yes. We're still in pandemic mode. Still, we're still doing the whole kind of quarantine thing, keeping our quarantine bubble small and, and tight and just kind of waiting for our turn for the Fauci ouchie which I saw on Twitter. That's what a six-year-old had called a, had called the vaccine. Fauci ouchie I don't think I've heard that that's good okay so that's what we call it now and the kids get a huge kick out of it so it kind of eases their anxieties on getting shots they don't they don't like it no one does well that's good I'm really hoping though that after it you know if things go well over the course of the next year with the vaccines and things start to look a little better I'm really hoping that maybe by closer to the end of this year or early next year we might be able to start doing recordings face-to-face again so I know I've rearranged like the pod basement like three times and yeah through all of this and I'm just like why no one's here <laughs> no one's yeah. coming over <laughs> yeah hopefully soon though hopefully soon fingers crossed fingers crossed so but enough about current events and mm-hmm. pandemic um so the last five ep- or last four episodes of the final season of Sabrina Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been no word as far as I know that it's being going to be picked up anywhere. So as far as we know, this is it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what were your overall thoughts on the last half of the final season? On my second watch through of it, I actually, and I think I appreciated it a lot more than I did the first time, you know, just like, just like you, the first time I watched through, I watched through as a fan. I don't, I don't watch it to take notes or try to look for little tidbits that we could talk about. I just watch it to enjoy it. And this second half of the season uh, hit me a lot like the first half. It was fun to watch. I thought that the overall presence of the Eldritch Terrors didn't fade in the second half of the season. I think I feel like the, uh, the enemy, or however you want to put it, was just as strong in these last four episodes as they were in the in the first four. A lot more emotional mm-hmm. as we got closer to the end. Um, like you said, it had there's no official word it's been picked up. And with the way that the show essentially wrapped up, it wrapped up in a way where it it would be really difficult to pick it up where it left off. Probably not impossible, mm-hmm. but very difficult. Yeah, what about you? I enjoyed it. I thought that it 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 was it was better the second time around, but I also feel like this show in general as a series is better with each rewatch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of felt that, you know, 
that with the Eldritch Terrors, because these last couple that we had, um, Cosmic and like the Endless, they were, there wasn't any kind of, phys, you know, uh, physical form per se. I mean, with the Endless, we had the animatronic Salem, but mm-hmm. that seemed more like a vessel and not, whereas like the, the terrors in the first half just seemed, I don't know, maybe because there were actual like bodies and, and people, so to speak, for them to stand in front of. Sure, sure. Whereas these ones were a bit more omnipresent, you know, the the cosmos or the cosmic. Yeah, yeah. So like we're talking about like the void, you know, there had no real physical presence per se. The endless was just this other celestial realm sort of it wasn't a celestial realm really it was just that it was another kind it was like a whole another universe really mm-hmm. that existed it was kind of like ambrose would sit to, would talk about it as if it's a mirror image of our reality with maybe minor differences which <laughs> turned out to be kind of an understatement yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I i totally agree with you i mean the second i think in the return you know we mm-hmm. got a lot more of a physical presence like from satanic panic and all of the the dead returning mm-hmm. but that's really the last time this season we really get that feeling but man still still even if they weren't you they didn't have a physical aura there you know you didn't see anything per se you felt it I, mm-hmm. I, at least personally i felt it like you felt the presence of the void you felt the presence of the endless and what it was doing and what it was creating and maybe that was the intention is you know the first half we have more quote tangible baddies physical beings sure physical beings where in the second half it's a bit more like uh like omnipresent like they're there and they're like always there and they're always around you know like with you know the cosmic the the other universe alternate universe coming and crashing in Right, right, right. So yeah, I think it's an overall sense of dread versus sure versus more of a kind of honed in sense of this is who we need to take out in their physical form. The uninvited. Right. Um, well, the, the dark the darkness technically had the physical presence in the mm-hmm. form of the miners. But I think that's just because the darkness was creating them. There was really nothing truly there underneath those uh, underneath the outfits. Mm-hmm. But the, at this, but at the same time, they were able to take the darkness and you know move it into the ball. You know, so as if it wasn't they were trapping a physical being. They did the same thing with the void, though, with Pandora's box. You know, at least the, that was the idea of it. So. I guess even though, yeah, there's not an, an actual physical villain who they could come like fisticuffs with, they still had to work together to figure out how to trap and enclose and wear and uh and ward off this this presence. In episode five, um, yep. episode five, I don't think we really actually get much of a present per se, also. I, can't, I just noticed I'm saying per se a lot. Sorry about that. <laughs> but per we don't really character get, development. <laughs> I'm gonna have I'm I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have my own special little catchphrase for every episode now. You get, today is per se. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in episode five, which is titled Deus Ex Machina, 
we don't really get a uh, much of an Eldritch Terror um, overall. This episode is more involved about how the the different realms are basically starting to merge mm-hmm. uh, between the Infernal Realm, the Mortal Realm, and the Celestial Realm. And one of the things, probably actually the coolest thing that about this episode that I loved, it was the how we got to meet Metatron, which is, uh, I believe, the voice of God. Yes. Super cool to add that into into the show uh bringing the voice of god in to uh speak about how the eldritch terrors are gathering and they're they're basically attracted to all the chaos that's happening in the realms and she says that if necessary she will negate sabrina Mm -hmm. which is pretty pretty interesting considering that you know through the through this episode we have to deal with that we're under the impression we're going to lose one of the sabrina's but I think it's also foreshadowing as to what's to come by the time the last episode arrived. Mm-hmm. With with Metatron, so I had noticed that um, Metatron had they them pronouns. The actress that played Metatron, I can't think of the actress's name off the top of my head, but she was in one of the more recent seasons of The Walking Dead as like head of the the dumpster people. Oh, okay. Um, because I saw her and I was like, oh, she looks familiar. Oh, she looks familiar. And I was trying to yeah. figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. I had to go look it up. And I was like, ha But the thing that I kind of liked about Metatron's presence was they're trying to be like, you know, the, the two Sabrinas need to merge to stop the cosmic, co- stop the cosmos from crashing into each other. It's got yeah. this percent success rate. And once um, Ambrose kind of figures out that that isn't completely necessary, then they ask Metatron, well, what's the probability of it succeeding with if the two Sabrinas merge? And Metatron said something like 53 or 63%, way lower than the other statistic that they gave. And I just, I kind of love that the celestial being, the voice of God was trying to be all sneaky as fuck about <laughs> trying to get down to one Sabrina. I understand their end game there, but just withholding that bit of information until somebody actually thought to ask, yeah. uh, I thought was hilarious. And it kind of, they always, the way like angels and heaven and God are portrayed in certain shows where there's a presence of hell and Satan and, and evil. Yeah just kind of tickles me because the heavens, the celestial beings are never presented as all good. There's always a layer of shiftiness and being kind of baddies themselves where you're actually watching. And granted, it's the show itself and whatever it's being presented in when you're like, I don't know, God and angels and Christianity seem awfully dirty. Well, just keep in mind, it it was also Nicholas one of the se- well, it was one of these seasons nicholas said just remember that the angels yeah it was season two when the angels came mm-hmm. he said that the, the angels are the ones with the fiery yep. swords you know so yeah they're they're pretty yeah. bad man i mean they may represent the light but really what is the light you know yeah. there can't I be mean, light without darkness if I can, if I can be completely honest, I mean, they, I mean, with the, all the time that we've spent, spent, spent in hell on this show, 
yeah, we never really saw the true extent of how bad people were getting tortured, but for the most part, it seemed okay. <laughs> it didn't seem too bad. <laughs> Reasonable. Just saying. <laughs> but yo, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. I mean, she even knew, she knew there were three more Eldritch terrors coming, and she neglected to tell any of them about that when she first mm-hmm. arrived. Uh, and it was a, and I, and I wrote it down, it was a 56% probability that it would work. And yeah, I mean, I don't blame any of them for being like, those numbers are not good mm-hmm. enough, you know? But she was well aware that it, they were coming. She withheld that information, and yet she still insisted that this had to happen. And then, you know, with their powers combined, mm-hmm. they broke the neck of the voice of God. Oh, my. <laughs> and it was brutal too. I didn't it think was you so could brutal. do that, but I did kind of like how there was at one point, and Lucifer's like, "You forget, dear sibling, I too am a celestial." And then I yeah, couldn't help yeah, but right. chuckle because just the image of all of them with their arms out, doing like air choking on them, just looked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Metatron's, but they're always yeah. doing stuff. They're always doing stuff like that, though. But but you're right. I think I think. It, if it's just one of them, it's kind of, it feels a little more powerful, but all of them, they're just like... Maybe it was just like the angle of the shots, because in the first half of the season, when the two, when the when the kings show up at the coven's doorstep after Lilith gave birth, and they throw labor pains at them, they've all got their arms outstretched, but they're all standing on the stoop, so looking yeah, very, like, official, I was going to say choir-like, but... And, yeah. and then that, like, that, I think, is a powerful image, whereas... For some reason, this one with all the witches and the morning stars on either side of the kind of altar of combining the two Sabrinas, it must maybe it was just the angle in in which we saw that, but I couldn't help. Or maybe it was like the face Lucifer makes. I think he made kind of a funny face or a face that made me laugh. <laughs> but he has kind of a funny face, yeah. anyways. <laughs> so also in this episode, because because of the threat of the cosmic and the two Sabrinas knowing that they've got to do this merge thing, they decide to kind of go and and have one last day uh, to do what they want. So Sabrina Morningstar goes and hangs out with the Fright Club and Bellman goes and spends the day with Nicholas. Now, this whole thing, okay, so... And, and they have sex. Nicholas and Spellman have sex. And, you know, it's the first time. It's all romantic. But at the same time, there's the mm-hmm. overlay of Morningstar singing with the Fright Club, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart over it, which yeah. was, like, really <laughs> cheesy. And then, and at the same time, oh like, the sex scene, quote, sex scene itself was... I don't, I don't know for me, kind of awkward. Cause I'm like, Sabrina is 17 and we still don't know how old Nicholas is. And we're assuming that he's older and he's not true. High Hold on real, real quick. At this point, at this particular point that we're at right now, Sabrina is still not 17. Right. It's not old. her birthday. Yet, just days from her birthday. So actually that brings up a point. I mean, granted Netflix, the showrunners, they, I don't, I don't feel like they went into I don't feel like it was so graphic no. that it would have been considered completely no, inappropriate no. because let's face it, teenagers are doing this stuff. But at the same time, like you said, and like we've discussed several times on this show, on this program, 
we don't know how old Nick is. Yeah, he looks to be her age, maybe a, maybe a couple years older, but not much. But Nick, I think, is well into his higher double digits person. I mean, he's got to be. I think he is. He may be on the on for the for his kind for witches and warlocks. He's probably considered really mm-hmm. really young. He may be like forty or fifty mm-hmm. years old. You know, maybe even not mm-hmm. that. But still, that's not the point. You know, it's just. Well, actually, no, that may, yeah. that is the point, actually. Uh, what's not the point is how young he actually looks because they age a lot differently than mortals. So watching the sex scenes actually take place for the first time, it gives you that sense of kind, of, sort of a sense of discomfort in a way just because of that. Uh, you know, otherwise, you know, I mean, good for Sabrina. Get it, girl, you know, but... And for me- the first time it was, and this is maybe because I'm going to be 40 this year. And so I'm getting older, old, but at first I was like, I got very like prudish about it. Like how dare they show high schoolers having sex, like, you know, glorifying and romantic, blah, 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 blah. And I had that kind of like holier than now kind of a moment where I was, I, I didn't like it. And then I started thinking back of when I was in high school and a lot of the movies that I saw, you know, of teenagers and coming of yep. age and their quote sex scenes and everything. And it's really, it really wasn't any different. And for some reason, the, the one example that popped in my head during that was the movie, um, teen witch. Did you ever see teen witch? Probably not, not it's so funny that considering the shed the topic of the show, yeah. but no, I have not seen. Oh Teen my Witch. god, there's oh, you totally need to watch it. It's hilarious. Um, okay, nice, you know, late 80s, early 90s movie. Girl find out she's a witch, blah blah blah. You know, lands like the, the high school honk, and they have like a nice romantic, sexy time moment and everything. And that scene always bored me because it was literally slow, just like the slow caressing yeah. and the soft music playing over. But it, like I said, no different than what we got in Sabrina. So I sure, just, sure. I, I just think it's funny that I had that prudish old lady moment of like, it's not appropriate. Teenagers shouldn't have sex. <laughs> do you think that uh, Hilda and Zelda, or I guess now just Zelda, do you think she knew that was happening under her roof? Did she know? Did she care? She, she I mean, she was okay with uh with that, with with Sabrina partaking in the in the uh, oh, what's it called? Like the, um, the, the regalia. The regalia. Um, um, yeah, no. Regalia. Well, where they, where they were playing Little Red yeah, Riding like Hood. Yeah, like that three day sexy time festival. Why well, can't I think of what that? It's called. not the regalia. But yes, I mean she was totally cool. With that. No, it was. We'll figure it. Well, oh it gosh. doesn't matter. Um, but the, the point is, is that she was cool with that. So maybe she understands maybe maybe she's just not judgmental maybe it's different for witches and warlocks as opposed to mortals who are more prudish about that kind of thing they're more open about it so maybe from their perspective this is okay maybe nicholas is an appropriate mate for sabrina even when we look at their ages i mean granted for mortals totally not Mm -hmm. you know especially if we're thinking he's in his 30s or 40s but you know, it's different for them. And with Aunt know? Zelda for this season, especially this last half of the season, and yeah, the season as a whole, she seemed so 
like unbothered by certain things, by lots of things, you know, like in the return, Vinegar Tom comes back. She doesn't care. She's got her dog back. She's got her familiar. She doesn't have any questions oh, about it. You know, Edward comes back and she's like, isn't it great, Sabrina? You know, like she doesn't, she's too accepting of these things. And there was another point too, where, and I don't think it was Hilda's wedding episode, but she just kind of, well, I think there's an example in there too, where she's like, well, we've got other things to worry about. We'll deal with Lucifer because we've handled him before. Just very like yeah. not concerned with some of some of the stuff going on. Just kind of her attitude to towards certain things. Like I said, with the return and everyone coming back. I felt like that yeah. would have been huge red flags for like season one Aunt Zelda. Yeah, actually I agree with you there. And actually I didn't think about that. So at I all. was thinking that maybe Aunt Zelda found peace following Hecate because she we've we've seen aunt zelda and her like she goes all in in what she believes and who she follows whether that's lucifer whether that's lilith whether that's hecate so it almost i almost got that sense especially the second time around that she just she's not concerned because they have the power of the triple moon goddess behind them which we have seen is more powerful than maybe even their powers they got from lucifer right right sure sure it was just it was just kind of interesting to see that character development in aunt zelda (laughs) right no no that's those are all very valid points you know you're right season one even season two zelda would have seen the the dead rising as red flags in fact sabrina has even brought up brought up to zelda how she's seen edward in past seasons and she's always says to her that's absolutely ridiculous you know um so maybe maybe it is this newfound faith that she has that brings her peace to things that happen things happen for a reason that confidence maybe that's the way she yeah and that yes edward is here isn't it great let's just go with the flow but at the same time keep in mind mambo marie explained to zelda what is going to happen that the dead will rise and they cannot be disturbed. They cannot be, they can't know they're dead um, or else it could cause a disturbance. So the fact that also that Edward returned, maybe not, maybe not, was not as big of a red flag as we would think it could have been for her in past seasons because she was aware of this Eldritch terror and what it was capable of doing. But at the same token, she looked generally happy just to have her brother back, even if it's just temporarily temporary. But uh, we're we're jumping around a little bit, but just to stick on that for a look, just for another moment, that episode, that part with him returning also really pissed me off because it proved that the writers of the show did not evolve Sabrina's character that much when it comes to her common sense Mm -hmm. because what does she do she does the one thing she is told not to do as she does in every other season she reveals to him that she's the his daughter that his wife is dead that he's dead and then he tries to kill her. Well, do you really fucking blame exactly. him? I'm just saying. it was train wreck after train wreck after train wreck in that in that little scene where she tells Edward everything. Well, I'm your daughter. Well, that's not possible. My daughter is a baby. 
oh, you think I'm sick? Where's Diana? And then it's like, you almost see that look of, ah, shit, what, did I, what have I done it, on Sabrina's face? That we see in every other yeah. season. Seriously. <laughs> oh, my God. And usually it's Ambrose on the other end of that who's, who's giving mm. her shit. But at the same time with what you were saying about Zelda being, and what we're saying about Zelda being more accepting of things, did you notice her reaction to that was little to nothing? Yeah. Like, she knew what Sabrina did, but she really didn't get on her case about it. Now, I don't know if they just purposely let that, uh, you know, didn't write that in, but you would think a character like Zelda would be all over mm -hmm. Sabrina's case for doing it. You know, and another you thing know? I just thought of, too, with Zelda and finding a, a new found kind of piece is she also has uh, Mambo Marie. Her and Mambo Marie yep. are together. And so she's happy. She's, you know, she has a partner. It's probably the happiest we've yeah. ever seen her. So Absolutely. And I, I agree with see that. her. I, so. I mean, I totally get it, given these things that we just discussed. But it just was kind of odd initially, where I'm just like, why aren't you more mad? <laughs> right, right. I get it. I get it. Going back to Daysex yes. Machina. Aside from everything with Metatron and the merging of the Sabrinas and things like that, a couple other big things happened in this episode, too. I know that Lilith didn't have the greatest season in comparison to seasons past, but this episode was pretty crazy for her, where basically she thought that her baby would be better off mm -hmm. dead than in the hands of Lucifer. I don't know if I completely agree with her decision to what, what she did, because she, she instantly regretted mm -hmm. it. Especially when Lucifer didn't fall for her, her trick or whatever, you know, her plan. Yeah. Yep. 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 You know, Lucifer told her, you know, you know, this is my child, you know, I am taking it. I'm taking, I'm taking my child. And he gave her, what was it like six hours before he would be back mm -hmm. for her to, so at that time she can have whatever last moments, whatever that she was going to have with the baby. And then Lucifer comes back and she basically reminds him of when he fed her, mm -hmm. Adam, the, the man that he loved, and then basically wanted to return the favor to him. But that backfired on her completely because she wanted to die after that. She thought after this, Lucifer was going to be so mad he was going to kill her. But instead, what does he do? He does the opposite. He grants her eternal life as a mortal you know she'll age she'll turn into you know she'll she'll be frightening to children and things like that um she'll get sick you know just everything that comes along with being immortal the only problem is is that she's she's gonna be she'll still be mm -hmm. immortal but she has so that's her punishment is she lives as if any and she god can you imagine how old she would just how old she could turn and what she would look like after so long she'll just decay eventually i mean that is like the wrath of, uh, of, of satan right there yeah she she did that i think just so he could kill her and he was like no you're not getting off that easy and you know that really backfires on on her especially come the next episode in the returned when she keeps hearing baby adam all over the place and it's driving her insane so with Lilith, I am the least happy with Lilith's storyline out of all the characters for this season. I, I didn't think yeah. any of it made any sense 
it almost felt like they didn't really know what to do with her, the pregnancy, the baby. And then after yeah. all of that, really what they were going to really what they wanted to do with her. Cause everything felt so fumbly, you know, cause yeah, we've got her killing baby Adam and, and for her to think that she was going to be able to trick Lucifer with the same thing he pulled on her, I thought was fucking amateur hour. And even as she's like telling him, like you once fed me a, a special meal and I wanted to return the favor. It's like, and I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, this is not, this doesn't feel right for the character. I felt like she's smarter than that. Maybe she just hit that level of desperation. And then yeah. for her to think that she could one, even try to get away with feeding baby Adam to Lucifer and then to actually expect that he would kill her again, fucking amateur hour. Why he, he tortures souls. <laughs> You think he's going to give you the sweet relief of death when you're clearly tormented? No. Yeah. Yeah. This is what he this is what he yeah. does, you know, and you're trying to you're trying to manipulate the game that he's created against him. It's just what are you yeah. thinking, you know? And now on top of this, you have you're going to have eternal guilt on your shoulders. Yeah. Completely backfires. And so her I just have to get this all off my chest, <laughs> but Go for it, dude. with Lilith, the biggest disappointment, everything felt so fumbly and out of character and she doesn't get what she wants. You know, she doesn't get her revenge on Lucifer. She doesn't get him killing her. So she gets to the point where she's so desperate. She asks Caliban for help and for him to go fetch this blade that she would then use to kill herself. But she doesn't because yeah. during this whole time as she's being tormented, she has no idea what the fuck is going on with the return. So when she finds out that the return is has returned and she goes and speaks to, was it Nazarene, the, the blind guy that Mambo Marie's playing chess, like some sort of chess game with? To Yeah, yeah. So so the Nazareth, uh, and yeah. there's some really cool things I've written down about him. But yeah, yeah. I, and then she stabbed yeah. him with And it. Mambo Marie is like, oh my God, thank you, Lilith. You saved us all. And she's like, I didn't do it for you. So she did it for herself right. because the Nazareth couldn't bring back baby Adam because there was no body for it. So then we see that she's, and, and so then there's a scene where she's cradling that weird doll that, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's cradling that porcelain doll, but then she looks up at that weird little statue that uh, man yep. Adam. Oh, the one that, the one that Adam brought brought back for her, for her yeah. from his travels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the and so then doll. she hears, um, she hears baby Adam say "Mama." So you're like, okay, so now the soul is in that doll. But then, because of everything else that has happened between the Sabrinas. She goes and she tells Lucifer all about it in an attempt to try and feed him information and get her powers back. So he goes, does some stuff, comes back. He's all disheveled. And at one point, Lucifer even says that Lilith is being a bit pathetic. And I kind of agree because of her like, well, the, the information I gave you was, was accurate, right? So you're going to give me back my powers. And so then she's, so then she doesn't, so then Lucifer doesn't get, give her her powers back so she takes that blade she stabs lucifer in the angel wing scars starts drinking his blood and now she's the ruler of hell 
And at that point, she doesn't seem at all concerned about baby Adam and being tormented by baby Adam. She goes to, and she's, she shows up at the funeral at the end, kind of off in the background. She's looking all sad, a, a little, a bit sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was yeah. all we get of Lilith. And it's like, what in the fuck was that? You know what? I don't think I need to add too much more to that because I, it, you're, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Biggest disappointment. I thought like most of our other episodes that I thought that maybe a second watch through was going to have me give me a better appreciation for Lilith this time around because it's happened before with past characters. And you're right. I mean, one, I just don't think the writers quite knew what to do with her. In the end. Okay. I think some of the things that they, some of the things that happened to her were pretty cliche. Mm-hmm um especially at the very end you're right i was going to save this for later but since we're on it now when she drinks lucifer's blood after stabbing him in his wet where his wings were that i don't understand what the point of that was was drinking i mean is is drinking the devil's blood make you the new ruler of hell is that a thing is that supposed to be a thing because they've never ever ever talked about that in a single episode so we're suddenly supposed to believe this well, so she drank and... his blood to, to get her power to get powers back and then she banishes lucifer from hell and basically does the power i don't know i don't know if she just has powers or she has specifically lucifer's powers but then she basically cursed him the way he had cursed her immortality wander the earth with the mortals yada yada and i'm like girl you can't make up something a bit more original you gotta keep stealing his old ideas right right you know it would be interesting if they uh, if there is ever 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 a spinoff series on this in the future i'd like to see one on her maybe just to see have them pick up and try to just not really wrong the rights but of how they how they wrote this but more just the okay where are we five years from now with it with Lilith how has she taken advantage and made this her moment like is it like is she, I like to know I like to know I want to know what happened with Lilith because right after that we didn't see it well aside from the funeral we really didn't we didn't see her for the rest of the episode and you know the whole killing baby thing and feed it trying to feed it to to Lucifer you know, it, it felt like a desperation move on her end. And Lilith has never in this show really struck me as a desperate character. She wanted the love and affection of Lucifer. That, that I think that has been very clearly spelled out throughout the entire series um, ever since we first met her. She wanted his acceptance. Mm-hmm. Okay. She absolutely did. Um, she wanted to be queen of hell, his queen. She wanted these things. But she was never the type of person to, she was never the type of person to try to cheat her way to it or try to manipulate her way to it. She believed she deserved it because she was the one who took care of him when he fell from heaven. And she just thought, my time will eventually come. And then in the end here, we just see this wrath of Lilith, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, the way it was portrayed, I just felt like it was kind of sloppy. Yeah very disappointing because like we said in our last recording of episodes one through four uh we know michelle gomez the actress is capable of so much more and it just feels like we got cheated out of a great final performance from her yeah one thing back to episode five 
Deus Ex yeah. Machina, the conflict between Theo and Robin, completely yeah. unnecessary. They did not need, I, I did like seeing another, meeting another Hobgoblin. Hobglob, oh my God, Hobgoblin yeah. made me wonder, do all Hobgoblin, God damn it. You can say it, I believe in you. <laughs> Hobgoblins all have little tints of color in their hair. Uh, Cause moth, we see how they think had a little bit of blue on the on the ends, yeah. which looked great. That could be natural, sure. And and the fact that and and bringing in like the the fey realm, even though we don't see any, the introduction sort of uh, of that fairies exist, and fairies and hobgoblins all exist in the fey realm, which I, yeah. I thought was kind of cool. I like that we didn't they didn't need to go into anything or show us anything, but just that they exist in this crazy universe. But their right. overall conflict between Theo and Robin and Robin's hobgoblin friend Moth trying to take him back to the Fey realm because they know what's going on. He's kind of, Robin's kind right. of losing his powers because of the time he spends away from them right. and right. trying to ba basically put this like wedge between Theo and Robin, tear him apart for about an episode and a half only to bring yeah. him back together and everything's all fine and dandy really annoyed me because I felt that was unnecessary. We can't just have one happy couple with no conflict. I agree with you in a sense that you're right. Why do what why is it with all these couple all the couples on the show there has to be something that's just try that's trying to tear them apart. I, I, I get that. But I also think if they wanted to get, since they did go that route, they really should have, if they wanted to stick with it, they should have maybe just expanded it through maybe a two or three, you know, at least three more episodes. It didn't have to be anything, any major plot point, you know, just something small on the side. Uh, like maybe showing Theo in another episode, just like sitting by himself in a room, just missing Robin, you know, and having a discussion with Roz, you know, it would have made it feel a little more necessary to understand how this is impacting Theo or maybe seeing, uh when robin does leave you know temporarily with moth you know just seeing his reaction to being without theo i think it would have felt a little more real and understanding why they did that but they didn't it mm -hmm. was a one episode thing it was a, a probably total runtime was maybe like four minutes mm -hmm. to, between all of that i i actually really did like the idea of them bringing in moth Mm -hmm. um, I knew Moth wasn't going to be a major character where we were in the last season. I wasn't too worried about her impact on the show, but the idea that what she told him was very cliche to me of the more time he spends away, the further his power, the more his powers start to fade. Why? Mm -hmm. He was with the circus for a really long time. Mm -hmm. There, I didn't notice any other phase in the circus. Unless he just had the powers of the pagans to help, who knows? But oh yeah, sure. Well, that could be the case. That could that that's true too. But still, you make you you bring up a great point because that's never addressed. It's there's no right. no nod and wink to he maintained his powers through the pagans. It was you're like like you said, he spent all that time with them. As far as we know, he maintained his powers. As far as we know, they didn't do anything to enhance his powers. Right, and you know, Moss. Moth was, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot to say about Moth no. personally because we don't, we don't really know anything about her. But one thing I thought was really cool about bringing in Moth is we actually saw their actual form. So yes. that was cool. So we know Robin isn't like this kind of cutesy young, younger looking guy, you know, 
at least always portrayed that way behind that veil he's got kind of the his, his people have kind of a not that's the right word i'm looking for goblin-y. goblins yeah they look gobliny you know they're kind of little scaly their skin's a little look looks a little drier and their bones stick their cheekbones are a little little more formed they just need to moisturize so, yeah <laughs> moisturize me moisturize me <laughs> so i thought that was cool we got to see what the hobgoblins look like in their true form but yeah i mean just the idea of theo saying you have to go and because i love Robin's you like, so much you know, and yeah and robin's like you know keep your window unlocked and after he leaves what does theo do he locks the window oh robin when, when Theo's like, you uh, need to go, he just was like, got all sad face. Yeah. He didn't put up any fight or resistance or anything. And then, yeah, it was just like, we'll leave your window open and, you know, call me and I'll come back whenever you need it. And the other thing that kind of bothered me was when Moth was, had confronted Theo about it and told Theo that, you know, with Robin staying here, he's losing everything that makes him special. And it's like, so only his powers make him special. And I was really upset that Theo didn't fight back in that moment or just in general of it's more than his hobgoblin powers and hobgoblininess that make him special. He's special for all these other reasons. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, Theo, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Robin is a is a very unique character that they brought into the show last season and i love robin Mm -hmm. robin is you know robin has a very necessary place in this show not i I mean mostly for theo he he's that friend of theirs who can help get them out of a situation really fast i guess that sounds kind of corny the way i say it but considering he's a speedster then it's because (laughs) yeah i mean that's pretty much it um he, he, he's, I don't want to say serves a purpose because that just makes it sound like he's so singular and he doesn't have really, he doesn't do it really good for anything else other than driving fast or driving fast, running fast, but he works his way into the hearts of, you know, the fans and the way the other characters, especially Theo, the way they respond to him, you know, and come to accept him, it's, it, it, you know, all through season three. It, you really made you really feel like he's been part of the fright club the whole time, you know, and just watching Theo just like totally like straddle him <laughs> when, when when he gets uh incubus <laughs> yeah the incubus uh, that was great that was great I, I kept saying get get it Theo get it Theo yeah but, yeah um, but so I just I just felt that was unnecessary but I think like you had said if we had seen how Robin was processing being apart and being pushed away by Theo in the Fey realm. I think that could have been a little interesting and kind of really more solidified Robin's place as part of the Fright Club. And, oh, that would have been cool too to see the Fey realm. And then yeah, and then we get a tiny peek at the Fey realm, a nice little teaser in the final season, uh, which yeah. I think could have been done very well and and been a lot of fun. Yeah. So I just kind of felt that it was unnecessary you know, and if they needed to give something to Theo and Robin as a uh, subplot to an episode or two, I think they could have found something else or maybe just 
addressed it a little differently. You know, the threat of the cosmics and uh, the the danger that the Fey realm or you know their their types are. Yeah, in. my Pia, you know, I need to go back because they need me right now because our 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 realm is in is in jeopardy. But I will I will be I will I'll come back to you. Something like that. Something that makes it understand where Theo can be like. I understand. Yeah. You have to do what you have to do, and it's not like Theo. Theo is not like Theo is not that kind of person. Right. He'll be like, "Oh, okay, I get it. Go do your thing. I'll see you when you get back." Yeah. You know. But instead, it's like, or be like, "Hey, do you need some help? I killed some ginger root people one time, and it was badass." <laughs> right. I'm really good with a rock. So, man, I hope I can stop shitting on these last four. <laughs> Well, let's let. I think we pretty much said all we could about Deus Machina. The only other thing I want to add about this episode before we move on is this is also at the end of the episode where we see Sabrina Morningstar step into the mirror, mm -hmm. to where she's going to go into the other realm, uh, universe that's uh, merging with the uh, with the current realms. Um, and at the end, we see the original Aunt Zelda and original Aunt Hilda from the original. Sabrina the Teenage Witch to television show and yeah, that was a lot of fun now, now, when I saw them come on for I knew they were coming because of all the previews I, I knew they were coming mm -hmm. I just thought it was really cool to finally actually see that moment where they walk on and the uh, Anna Hill does like that's, that, oh, I wish I wrote it down she's like I haven't been this been said since you know bottomless margarita Mom, day or whatever bottomless Mom, mimosas, mimosas. Mm -hmm. yeah something like that i was just like oh geez <laughs> and then the laugh track the laugh track was great yep. and we'll talk more about that episode but basically that's where we end yep. on that oh and we do find out ambrose's age in deus ex machina yes yes oh Finally. gosh i wrote it down i have it written down too what was it 135 years old 135? Yes. Oh, Ambrose. Ambrose is a hundred. Well, that brings me back to the point of Nick. No. <laughs> I'm just saying. Ambrose and Nick don't look far apart in age. And again, but when Ambrose isn't in school. Ambrose isn't in school. I guess that's a, kind of a difference there. Right. And when we first meet Nicholas, you know, in the early seasons and everything, and he's like, I'm the best whatever since Edward Spellman. Like, so were you just yeah. born like naturally good like that? Or have you had couple of decades to practice like why are you the only one that's ever come close to edward spellman yeah that's a good point that's a very good point because edward spellman did not learn that learn his craft overnight mm -mm. yeah that's a good point so, yeah so the singing episode there had to be one didn't they there had to be one fucking singing episode the return and the battle of the bands you know, I mean, at least they made it make sense. We don't have like cheerleaders yes. that are just like dancing, singing, tricky. It's a battle of the bands episode. I agree. All the singing in this season actually made sense to the scenes, yeah. to the episode, to the season. It, like you said, it wasn't just some breakaway over and over and over again of cheerleaders singing also cheerleaders don't sing it's not what they do that's what a choir is for right right <laughs> you got it right and you know what it's not like the show is new to singing it's not like last season was the first time they ever had singing on this episode mm -hmm. when season one when sabrina ten, first goes to, to the academy of the unseen arts and she joins the choir and they're singing doe a deer 
there's that little musical sense in it, but season three completely abused it. They just completely abused that. They really did. And then I think Netflix, the show writers, whoever, I think they realized that they fucked up there. They got a lot of flack from the fans about it. I don't know why they wanted to continue on with singing, but I think it was more of like the singing was so out of place. It didn't make sense. And that's why people didn't like it. Yes. I or agree. at least here, the only part that I thought was out of, you know what? Maybe it was, it was felt, it was out of place, but maybe it was meant to be that way on purpose is during a total eclipse of the heart. I feel like that is probably, I mean, yeah, it was a band practice, but I think that was totally done on purpose to set the mood for the sex scene. It totally was. Just that in of itself where it's Sabrina singing over Sabrina having sex. It's uh, There was just something about that, that it was morning. Is that a fourth wall? Is that breaking the fourth wall? Maybe not. No, because I don't know. it's not like they looked at the camera and gave like a wink and finger uh, guns or anything, you know. Like, <laughs> good point, good point. And technically they are two different, they are two separate yeah. characters. But I think it just so, kind okay. of, for me, Kind of help show just how self-centered Sabrina maybe it was a bit fourth wall so self-centered and, and about me myself like here we have the two different Sabrinas but we're going to still combine what they're doing separately into like one thing I don't know but enough about that the singing yeah. um the battle of the bands I right so I kind of thought Bright Club nailed Time Warp and and i give all credit to robin okay all right his, I mean, his voice and for the, his part that he sang of, of that song fucking nailed it Roz yeah, did great okay. i actually didn't hate harvey why has he finally broken me down after four seasons and a couple I think of you, I think you did. I, I think you're a softie for Harvey now. I think you are. And, the actors, and I've noticed that, you know, obviously over the course of actual time passing of, you know, the four or five years to film the show, he has grown up. He's gotten a little, a little older looking. That's such a baby face as we saw like in, in season one, even in like the rewatching uh, the little clips that they show yeah. in the endless but i think he looks a little bit better with the longer hair uh the actor's first name is ross which i'm a sucker for that name so mm -hmm. maybe that's part of it as well yeah but but also you you you've been growing with this character and seeing him evolve yes. you know and from he's this, not from... a whiny chicken shit like he was in season one no he, he's not harvey is really he has changed. He's taken a stand. He's, he, he's always kind of stood up for himself, but now he's standing up for other people more, which is nice. Mm -hmm. uh, we mentioned in the last recording how he has this kind of prejudice towards witches, mm -hmm. like when Roz revealed himself. But the one thing I like about him when it comes to that is he overcomes his prejudice and he realizes that he's better than that. You know, so that's part of the reason why I've learned to like Harvey is because it proves that even that even if you come from a background where you have family members who are all fucked up and thinking terrible things and doing terrible things, you know, you can rise above that. And Harvey has done that. And I really love that about his character and where he's come from, where he started to where he is now. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. So. I, yeah, I wasn't sure how you'd feel about my 
bit of a flip on Harvey oh, and, and Fred Club and I respect it. I think it's cool. I mean, I, I'm the same way. I But there's no way yeah. Dark Mothers was better than Fright Club. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't Jesus. get to sing Sweet so, Child of Mine kind of half-assedly and be better than a full band ensemble doing Time Warp and getting... Let's get the whole Battle of the Band scene out of the way right now because I have a lot I want to talk about with this episode because in the return... Take it away. I told you, I took, like, I took almost six episodes, six pages of notes on this. Granted, I'm terrible at taking notes because I write down everything I see, but seriously, a lot happened in the return. And if we really look at it, there is so much that went down in this episode far beyond just the Battle of the Bands. The Battle of the Bands was just the fun part of it, mm -hmm. you know? But let's just get the Battle of the Bands out of the way first. First, my opinion. I'm a huge, huge, huge Rocky Horror Picture Show fan. I've been Rocky, watching Rocky Horror since I was a child, okay? And funny thing is, is that when I was little, you remember that, you know, the movie It, the original movie, I was never scared of that movie as a kid. Reason being is because I grew up with Tim Curry. Yep. My mother, when she was young, would go to the Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight at the movie theaters like every other week. When I was a little child, I grew up on that movie. And when I saw It for the first time, my and I knew who Tim Curry was, my mother said, don't worry, that's just Dr. Frankenfurther. And I knew who that was. And I was like, oh okay so i rocky horror has a very special place in my heart so when i saw their portrayal of the time war i agree that they they sang it beautifully they did robin did a did a killer job theo did a great job theo playing Colum was theo columbia i think theo was columbia if i remember correctly i don't remember i'd have to watch it again yeah. but i'm just gonna because robin was riffraff yes um Roz was magenta okay so Roz was magenta and then theo theo was columbia okay so my disappointment with this is the fact that the whole purpose of the time warp is you jump to the left you take a step to the they right you put your hand and you pull them in tight and they didn't do it and i just that was disappointing i was very disappointed that they left out the chorus the, the part of the song that makes that song what it is you know mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of different renditions by a lot of different uh, bands and like shows and stuff like that doing the time more. And I would say this is probably my most disappointing one I've ever seen. Just, they sounded great, but that song is all about the chorus in the end. It's a beautiful song. I love it all together, but you have so much fun because you want to dance along with it. And when I was, when I was watching for the first time, I was like, oh, all right, all right, all right. I'm getting ready to put my hands on my hips and doing all this. And then yep. next thing I know, nothing. Oh, that sucked. <laughs> I, so. I absolutely agree. That was, I was kind of a little excited in, in the first time watching it, thinking like, all right, here we go. We're going to do the time warp again. And then no chorus. Yeah. So that was, yeah, yeah. that was a huge letdown. And I think they probably, in my opinion, they could have cut more of the dark mother's screen time and singing. And granted, right. they didn't have a whole hell of a lot, but what they had was still a bit more than they needed. They could have given that additional time to the Fright Club to do at least the chorus once. How did the Dark Mothers, who came in unannounced to this battle of band, have a pyrotechnician set ready for, and, and perfectly timed for their song? I mean, yeah, they're magic. They could probably have just set that off themselves. But how? Well, okay, and I, my question was, 
how do they all know how to play their respective instruments and know the song and get the timing and you know like with no practice and so we have never seen Prudence or Nicholas pu- pu- hold an instrument nope. I don't even think we've seen Ambrose hold an nope. ins- instrument before nope. um Sabrina we've obviously seen her sing that's fine but Magic. yeah I felt like it was a little out of place I think what they should have done instead is they should have brought in Peggy Simcox during the set for uh, uh, Satanic Panic, oh. you know, have her come on as a distraction because they were they were, they were basically, uh, you know, summoning her to come to this battle of the bands, you know, to get her revenge or whatever. And I think the more appropriate way to have done that is maybe had you know if the Fright Club go on first, have Satanic Panic go on second, and during Satanic Panic, said Peggy Simcox walks up. And they look all shocked, and then she sets them on fire or whatever she does. I, I just felt like the way that they did that whole part with, you know, the Sabrina's band, it just felt ple- it, it, it was a it was poppy, it was a mess, it was just it was unnecessary mm-hmm. for that moment because this was not supposed to be Sabrina's moment. This was supposed to be the Fright Club's moment, and Sabrina overshadowed that. And I get it, this is her show. But this was not supposed to be her moment. And everybody's praising her for it afterwards. And it's like, I get it. That's the way it's written. It is what it is. You know, but maybe the others, maybe the other fans of the show don't think like how you and I do. You know, maybe they love that stuff. Maybe. You know, but... And they want to see Sabrina shine. But it's just, I don't know. I get what they were going with, with bringing back Peggy Simcox, you know, because she was the sacrifice in order for Satanic Panic to become famous. And I totally get that. And I think Sabrina's role in that was completely necessary. And say they recruited Ambrose and Nick. I get it. They have the power to do that. But don't steal the light away from the other guys. That's exactly what they did. They stole their light. So I don't know. That's all right. That's my that's that's my bitching about it. <laughs> I two hundred percent agree. They no way dark. I even wrote in my notes. No way was Dark Mothers better than Fright Club. Plain and simple. And the fact that Fright Club was there and they had to play to save Harvey's dad. And we finally see Harvey's dad being accepting of Harvey and his band playing guitar playing. Because at the beginning of the episode, his dad doesn't seem, he's not like against it, but he's not super duper supportive of it either. So I think, I think you're absolutely, I think they could have done that completely different. I think even if they had satanic panic go on first meanwhile in you know the sabrina and the witches are summoning peggy sue and then fright club goes on and even if peggy sue came in during fright club set to then set satanic panic on fire that would have been fine as well because then fright club would have won would have freed the dad and then again like you said sabrina's not there stealing the limelight and, you know, Sabrina, sure, maybe behind the scenes, off in the, for- off in the shadow, Sabrina saves the day by bringing in Peggy Simcox. Sure, we can maybe go with that. But the fact that she had to be on stage singing, uh, she had to be the center of attention, like Sabrina always has to be, mm-hmm. was a bit of a letdown, I feel like, as a fan, because we have been growing with Roz, Theo, uh, Harvey especially, and I think... I'm pretty sure Robin, yeah, Robin was there too. He was singing with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were just talking about that. You know, this was really their chance to show that they can do it without Sabrina, at least without Sabrina being there. Um, Mm -hmm. So I agree. And 
I also like the, yeah. So at the beginning of the episode, Harvey ends up finding this old, super sweet, nice and shiny red guitar. And he's like, oh, dad, I didn't know you played blah, blah, blah. And we come to find out that Harvey's dad played with satanic panic until (laughs) until Lucifer came in and was like, hey, just sacrifice a virgin. Y'all can get what you want. Harvey's dad bows out. Now, what I absolutely loved and could not stop giggling at was young harvey's dad being played by ross lynch and trying to keep a more surly look like he like his dad does but he was all like 80s punked flesh metaled out so he's got like the the, the the hair and all that denim you know and the the black eye makeup and he's yeah he's like as Harvey's dad, he's like, no, I'm not. I'm no part of it. I couldn't stop. <laughs> so funny. It's it so funny. But no, that was good. It was very I enjoyable. I thought that was good. I, I completely agree with you because even his dad telling him, like, he was like, the devil, like, the actual devil came in. I know this sounds crazy. And Harvey's just like, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, another thing, though, about that, about Satanic Panic that I thought was funny. Satanic Panic was just like walking all willy-nilly through Baxter High. Do you notice that? Like, they belong there. And, like, nobody besides the Fright Club was paying them any attention. Nobody was just, like, walking by and just, like, looking at them like, who are these people? They could clearly be seen. You could see some adults in the background, too. Mm -hmm. Like, nobody's questioning this, like, these, like, 20-something-year-old punk bands that, whatever, that's just walking through the halls of Baxter High. I just think it's hilarious. It's Greendale. Um, Weird shit happens in Greendale. You know, that's probably the least shocking thing that's happened in Greendale. So, no, it it makes sense. I did think it was kind of funny, though, that um, at the beginning, before we met Satanic Panic, we met the Stoned Philosophers, um, the other band. Mm -hmm. And and they were just like, this is our rehearsal space, you know, and that guy's being a total dick to the Fright Club. And then here comes satanic panic a couple of scenes later and just slaughters <laughs> i don't know why i found that amusing I, I you know i just like to see people who are real big assholes get their come up and i think that's why because they were such pompous assholes now one yeah. thing i was kind of curious about especially during the second rewatch is the dead the dead are back but they don't know they're dead we see dorcas right. we see yeah. edward yeah. <laughs> yeah. tom they don't know that they're dead they panic panic seems to know right away we see them come through the gates of hell down in the mines so they're aware that they're dead like when they confront harvey for the first time they're like why do you look so familiar and he's like what and he's like oh i'm a tinkle or whatever and right away the one one of them's like say hi to your dad say hi to your dad yeah 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 and it's not like they're just like rogue souls they are part of the return because when sabrina goes down and confronts lucifer about it and she's like you need to do something about these guys and and take them back she realizes that he can't because they are part of the return and lucifer doesn't have any power over those that group of dead folks and it's just up to the nazarene nazareth or whatever and the lazarus yeah in the, the chess game with mambo marie so I was like, that's a good point i i never thought about that I was like, how did, is it just because they've been dead longer no 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 there's definitely people who have risen who are who are uh, back that were dead longer than them yeah i don't know yeah i guess um 
I don't have an explanation. Yeah. I can't think of why. Yeah, I think mm, plot, plot hole. Yeah. There you go. And then we meet Dr. C's mom. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. What's her name? Like Miss Cosgrove or something? I wrote it down. Uh Cosgrove. Yeah. Miss Cosgrove. Gosh, she was a handful. She revealed that she killed Dr. C's old girlfriend. Now, do you think she really did? Or do you oh. think that that was just did you hear the way? Do you hear the way she said that to her? I totally believe it. I totally believe it. And I'm willing to bet that he didn't know and just thought that, oh, mother, you know. But, you know, watching their relationship with each other, didn't you get kind of a Norman Bates vibe? Oh, I off totally of it? fucking I did. Totally did. Uh-huh. So you could tell when grow- growing up, he was a total mama's boy and she was all very cuddly and, you know, coddling him his whole life so she didn't like the idea of other women coming in she was talking about all the other girlfriends that he had i don't know if she was doing it to try to make her uncomfortable but you know yeah okay so you know it's just she's throwing it out there and he's just like mom looking over at her looking over at his wife and she's you know hilda's just sitting there like oh oh okay okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then like she goes down and like uh she sit she after the, her and Dr. C go to bed and she comes down in the middle of the night and turns on the light and there she is just sitting there still and she wakes her up and she tells her she's not good like she's not good enough for her boy she's about she tries to kill her you know by pulling out the knife it's just very Norman yeah, Bates she was with the she was scary well he was more Norman Batesy. she herself reminded me more of I can't, I don't remember her first name, but Mrs. Voorhees, Jason Voorhees' mother, who was extremely coddly towards Jason when he was a boy. I don't know. Interesting relationship. Very interesting. Um, so with this episode, the we we know the dead have risen. Okay. Mm -hmm. The first sign of this is when Vinegar Tom appears at the Spellman's door. And you know. Like we were talking about before, for with uh, 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 Zelda having more red flags in previous seasons, you would think she would have a red flag rise when she sees her dog. She doesn't. She accepts it immediately. But it was Mambo Marie's reaction to it that let her know that she was the first one to know that this is another terror that's coming. She knows that this is not something that can last if it's if it if it, if it continues then the world of the dead will then merge with the world of the living and it'll be all chaos, mm-hmm. worse than it already is turning out to be. So Mama Marie summons Lazarus, yeah. which I don't know much about the Catholicism, the Bible or anything like that, but from what uh, Anastasia told me, Lazarus was the first person to be resurrected from, by Jesus Christ. Uh, Lazarus comes and uh, she suggests that they play a game of Sinet. Uh, which Sinet is a game where the pieces on the board represent the souls of the dead. Uh, to win, they must move their pawns to the end of the board, which is represented, which represents the afterlife. Pardon me, if Mama Marie loses, then the dead shall never return to their grave, and they will live amongst the living. It will be a endless. It will be basically be endless suffering. I, I, I can't help but. But chuckle because when you say, you know, the dead is among us, never going anywhere, endless suffering, all I could think is the walking dead universe and how they keep pumping out shows. <laughs> and that show's been on for 10 <laughs> <Yeah>. seasons. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. 
That's funny. Go ahead. But you know, the, the crazy, the funny thing though is that these dead don't realize they're dead unless you point out the fact that they're dead. And as we discussed earlier with Sabrina being Sabrina and fucking up in a Sabrina way, <laughs> she goes head in. <laughs> like she doesn't even dip her toes. No. You know, to warm him up. She just goes, I'm your daughter. You've been dead huh? 16 years. You've been dead 16 years. Your wife, she's dead. You know, just throwing all of this out there. It's like I said, it, it, it proves that as a character, she just never learns her lesson. Mm-mm. She evolves as a person, but she still has those instincts about her where she just wants people to to recognize her i think and to you know be accepted and be loved and that's all fine and dandy but you gotta follow the rules which she does not do she doesn't follow the rules and it was i I know we already discussed this at length before but i just have to say it one more time it's such a disappointment that after four seasons you know we can't, that Sabrina just can't follow a simple rule and just shut the fuck up. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. That's all. Yeah. That's all. So, but either way, um, in this episode, also, uh, this is when we're, what we talked about before, where uh, Adam, the baby, yeah. baby Adam, uh, comes back crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lilith begins to panic. We 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 talked at this at some length, so we won't spend too much time about it. But funny thing here is, if this was supposed to be and have any sense of accuracy, she really shouldn't be hearing his but hearing his voice, uh, hearing the baby Adam. Baby Adam should not have returned because, according to Catholicism, all unbaptized babies when they die. If they die as babies, go to purgatory. If that's the case, could she really hear the the voice of Adam through if Adam is in purgatory? I feel like that's kind of a plot hole. Also, if that was the case, couldn't Lucifer just go to purgatory and take Adam and pull him out? So So for that one, I think because there's no body, he would need to have some sort of vessel for baby Adam's soul. If he were to be able to retrieve baby Adam from purgatory if baby Adam is in purgatory. I kind of took you think it, so? I kinda, well, yeah, I think maybe that's just off the cuff based on what you, what you had just said. Um, okay. I guess I took it more as not baby Adam's actual soul, but just that level of guilt and self-torment Lilith was going through. I guess I took that like her hearing baby Adam cry more as like a, a bit of just that. Yeah. In, internal guilt. Cause Caliban doesn't, can't hear the baby cry. Cause she asks Caliban when he showed up. Oh yeah. She did ask him to get the spear. Oh. You know, and, and maybe, and maybe it, it was all in her head. And maybe when she looked at that voodoo doll, hearing baby Adam's voice, maybe in a way yeah. that was to put that, quote soul to rest if we are thinking it is a soul i guess it could really either could be either way a soul a lost soul it's just it's just that it's it's more than just a mind game it's not a mind game because this is the eldritch terror literally bringing back the dead it's just that 
there if in her case there's no body i mean geez again See, I, didn't it's, think, it, I didn't think adam's existence you know crying and tormenting her was at all related to the return you don't think but maybe it was I didn't think I thought then they brought that if that's the case if that is supposed to be the case that they just brought that back in a very bad in, in, in an episode where that could be a bit confusing because that's the impression I was under because fascinating because I did not I got the, since Lilith was closed off in her room yeah she had no idea that the return was even there which I guess yeah because when she realized that it was the return and Lazarus was on earth or whatever and she decided yep. to go see him and bring the baby back so maybe it was more connected, but I just took it as Lilith being in her own tormented world. Of yeah. This was her her subplot that was going on the last couple of episodes. And so we're just- It's all so in her head. Just, yeah, and she's just kind of catching up to what's going on outside the doors of her room now. Okay, fair but enough. Interesting that there's two different takes though. That is, and, and I didn't, you know, I, I see it from your perspective too. Um, and I think either way, it actually makes sense. Is it her own personal torment or is it the Eldritch Terror? You know, what is it? And it's not outside the realm of possibility that it could be both. Exactly. It really isn't. The only thing is, is that, you know, she does speak with, you know, she kills Lazarus. She kills Lazarus knowing that she, I think she knew that a vessel was required, that a body was needed. I think she went into that conversation with him knowing that because she was very nonchalant with her reply. She wasn't all like, no, you have to help me. You have to help me. She was just like, oh, oh, okay. And then she walks away right before she stabs him. And why would she, why would she have the spear with her if she didn't know that he couldn't do it without a body? She just knew that killing the Lazarus, killing Lazarus would end the torment of hearing the baby. So that's okay. where... That's how gotcha. I think. That's how I see that. Gotcha. That's why I think it was part of the return. I think you're right. I think I just was more focused on on Lilith and her overall storyline for this season and hating it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not right. seeing how it intertwined with the rest of of what was going on in various episodes. So. And that's the thing about this episode that I found very interesting is that a lot of things intertwined with what was going on between Mambo Marie and Lazarus. Mm-hmm. everything came back to that to that game they were playing we focused a lot on uh, 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 uh on uh, edward and sabrina lilith and adam a little bit on miss cosgrove and uh hilda and dr c and satanic panic which was basically these were the bulk of the dead that we really got to meet. but another huge huge probably the biggest reveal of this season was the reveal of mambo marie's true form after she won the game so yes in episode six the return you're right there's a lot going on like straight away my notes are because we get a tiny glimpse of the 90s uh alternate universe sabrina with the other aunties Mm -hmm. battle of the bands lilith going mad and then kills lazarus lazarus the dead returning Harvey's dad having been in a band, which I wondered with his role in Satanic Panic, if maybe that didn't lead to him having that drinking problem that we saw in season one. Oh, or maybe at, the like guilt. The, the guilt. guilt of what happened. The guilt of what happened to uh, uh, to Peggy Simcox. Oh, that's a good idea. Possibly. Sure. And more singing. And then my last note: Mambo Marie. Oh, Mambo. Oh. Mambo. 
God, what a reveal, huh? So I was so thrilled. I thought it was an awesome twist, the, the reveal of her being Baron Samity, a powerful Haitian Lao. And I had looked that up a bit uh, during, I think, just my first watch because I started thinking, I, all I could think was uh, like the Disney movie, The Princess and the Frog with Tiana. Oh. And she oh, deals yeah, with yeah, Lao. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was like, so is there just one specific, uh, I guess, Lao or, or, you know, I wasn't sure if the character that Mambo Marie actually was, Baron Semedi, if Baron Semedi was also the Lao that was in Princess and the Frog, or if there's just many of them. I don't think that would be the same. That, no. that would be one hell of a coincidence. So from what I had gathered after a very quick Google and skimming, couple of different articles it seems that are there are many different laos this lao in this show and sabrina was not the same one in the disney because he was also bad and in charge of the dead or whatever so right 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 um you know i this part was sometimes i get pretty surprised when i'm watching tv shows you know it's like oh i didn't see that coming or what a twist or and then there's a lot of times where i'm just like yeah you could see that coming from a mile away. This was the coolest reveal and twist I thought that they brought on probably almost throughout this entire series. Now, if you think about it, Mambo Marie is not that, she hasn't been around really that long. She was in all of season three. She played a huge role in season three. And she was only up until the sixth episode of season four. Overall, compared to most of the other characters, she wasn't really in the show that much, but her impact on the show is everlasting. Huge, yeah. Huge, yeah. And you got to think, without her, you know, could, could the Covens, could the Spellmans, could they have been able to do the things that they've been able to do in the last two seasons without her? And it just showed the impact of not just her as, her, her as a character, but also the impact of her knowledge of, of her of the arts that she knows you know of voodoo you know you know and just this other side of magic or whatever however you want to put it that really came in handy in all of season three pretty much in parts and here in season four she basically i mean lilith technically was the one who saved the day in this episode by killing lazarus but she was the one willing to sacrifice and fight for the living by playing this game with Lazarus because she knew that was the only way it could be done well I guess she knew killing Lazarus could have have done the trick why she just didn't take that route I don't know maybe that's just above her or below her but uh still I mean it it was heartbreaking though at the same time when that when, when she when she made the confession when Mambo Marie revealed her true self to Zelda and oh I felt so bad for Zelda I know. You could tell she was heartbroken when she got that because, first off, if we look at the previous seasons, you know, her luck with love, you know, what does she have to fall back on? Father Blackwood. (laughs) You know, and at this point, I wonder if she knew if she was gay or not. You know, when she was with Black, when she was Blackwood, did she did did she know that? Was she open about it? 
has she always been, you know, has she always accepted, you know, uh, the fact that she liked both men and women, or has she always been, you know, you know, more attracted to women? And she was just with Blackwood just for merely the power that she was going to inherit for her and her family. And the way that her and Marie interacted with each other was, she was in love with Marie. I don't really know how to put it. She was, she was in love with her. You could tell. She was head over heels for, for Marie. Mm-hmm. And then when she revealed herself to be this other person, I don't think it really had anything so much to do with the fact that this, that Mama Marie is this uh, the Haitian voodoo priest. I think it's just more about the fact that she felt betrayed, yeah. that she never truly knew the person who she had fallen in love with. And that is sad. And Mama Marie said, if you ever need me, take this and just shake it and I will come. She said, I will always be here for you if you need me. Basically, without saying it, she's saying, I love you. I love you dearly. Please don't be mad at me. You know, but this is why I, I think Zelda being Zelda, she could have accepted that had she known from the beginning. I think she could have accepted that underneath the veil of, you know, Mamba Marie is this voodoo, this voodoo priest. I don't know. I just felt bad for her. I felt really bad for her. Yeah, I did too. And I think it, you know, really kind of, you know, last season when we're towards the end first kind of introduced to mother maiden crone. And then at the beginning of the season and their naming of who's going to embody each aspect of the, the moon goddess, she names herself the crone. And even in her, it wasn't a dream, but when she was being guided by Edward in season three, yeah, she's painted as the crone in, mm-hmm. in that. So it kind of, it was heartbreaking in that, in, in everything that you said, and also that it kind of, kind of solidifies uh, Zelda's role as the crone, you know, where Hilda's the mother, the loving, the caring one. Yeah. I did like how in this season they named Prudence the maiden and not Sabrina. So there's one time where Sabrina doesn't get the limelight and we saw, we did see it in her face. You could see how disappointed she was though. Oh, she was so upset by it. This was, it was, I was so sad for Zelda and I was glad that out of the return, Mambo Marie slash uh, Baron Semedim let Vinegar Tom stay. Right. And I think that was, that was a parting gift. Yeah, that, that was her saying, this is my gift to you. Know that I love you. That is that. But what's even more heartbreaking than that was the return of Dorcas, which I thought, I didn't know how impactful Dorcas's return was going to be because she hasn't always been a standout character in the show. Her and Agatha were always there with the, as the weird sisters. They had a kind of a bigger role in season three when we went up against uh, the pagans, and then we saw how Agatha, how it affected Agatha, and the fact that she killed Dorcas. I didn't realize though how much Dorcas meant to the show and what she meant to the group, to the sisters, until this episode, because Dorcas returns. Agatha is sitting there in the room. She's singing her song. You know, she's she's kind of back to crazy Agatha. You know, I, I feel like that's such a poor way to put it she she's not crazy agatha she's just they they do call her mad agatha so right yeah it's just that she's in that she's in that state 
mm-hmm. and here comes Dorcas, you know, and Dorcas is like, you know, it's me. And Agatha doesn't recognize her. And Agatha looks confused and she asks her, you know, if she if she wants to play with her, you know, and Dorcas is like, yeah, sure, let's play. And the scenes that we see them together after that, you know, the next thing we see them together after that, Dorcas is doing Agatha's hair, you know. Oh, first off, Dorcas walks on, see it, walks on the camera for the first time when we see her again, just completely covered in blood. And she's like, I'm all sticky. I need to change out of it. I like, I like how she delivered that. <laughs> that, was, that was great. That was great. Like you're dead and you're disgusted by your dead people clothes. I mean, you don't know you're dead, so it's understandable, but... <laughs> You know, Dorcas is uh, figures out. She she realizes during the next scene that they're together when she's doing when she's like braiding Agatha's hair and Agatha is singing. She realizes Agatha killed me. Like it just like it just like it. You know, she realizes that it happened, and she gets up. She goes to grab a knife and she's about to like stab or slit Agatha's throat, whatever the case is. And here walks in Prudence right on time. She realizes what Dorcas was about to do, so she had to stop her, but they do that thing where they lock their pinkies with each other, you know, like their bond of sisterhood. Prudence, I think, played a very important, small but very important role in this scene because she had to save her friend's life. She didn't want Dorcas to kill Agatha. I think that's mainly what it was mostly about, but also, you know, this reunion of the, we now have the first reunion of the, uh, of the strange, uh, uh, of the weird sisters since season three. And it, it was a cool moment. I felt mm-hmm. in the end when, uh, Mambo Marie comes in after, a, after Lazarus has been killed, Mambo Marie comes in and Prudence introduces her to Dorcas because now Mamba Marie is gathering the dead and leading them back to their to 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 be laid to rest. And oh god, it got me. It got me. And Agatha's still in her state at that point. You know, she's in a straitjacket. She tells her she forgives her, she gives her a kiss, she walks off with Mambo Marie. And then just like that, you know, just a few seconds later, Prudence is there with Agatha, and Agatha like snaps out of it. She realizes that Dorcas was there, but it hit her at that moment when she realized what Dorcas said to her, that she forgave her, that she was the one who killed her. And what was sad about that is she never realized that the entire time, mm-hmm. the whole time. She didn't know what she was doing. She was under control. She was under Pan's control. And then she was under Blackwood's control. Oh, it was just such a heartbreaking moment because it was truly the moment where you realize the original Weird Sisters we're no longer a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Very emotional. I'm getting almost a little blubbery even talking about it because it was the most emotional part of that episode, I felt. Just as much as Mambo Marie's reveal to, to, to Zelda. Because Zelda will, Zelda will move on. Zelda will move on. She's strong. Agatha will live with that for as long as she lives. And that is sad to think about. So... Sorry, I just talked a lot right there about that, but it was a very impactful moment for that episode for me, just seeing how that all went down. And, uh... It was a really nice kind of bow on the story of the original Weird Sisters. And I thought it was nice that we got kind of that closure between Dorcas and Agatha um, from last season, mm-hmm. you know, because Dorcas's death, I think 
No, I think we did see Agatha kill Dorcas, but we didn't see Dorcas get shoved in no closet because that's where they ended up finding her body. But either way, at the end of last season, kind of with all of that Dorcas's death and, and Agatha having gone mad and brainwashed and everything, yeah, felt, you know, loose end and like, but yeah. So the way they kind of did it with the returned Dorcas and like you said, I think Prudence very much played that all important big sister role in saving Agatha, but not overreacting to freak Dorcas out and to yes. still keep her cool and calm yes. to yes. kind of keep talking to Dorcas and get the knife or scissors, whatever she had away from her. She distracted her from, yep. right. Mm -hmm. And that just really goes to show that closeness that the three of those those women had from day one that even at this point they're they're still connected they're still close yeah. prudence having always kind of been a bit of the leader between the three still holds that role and is you know respected uh by by dorcas and you know agatha even though she's all cuckoo crazy now here's the thing though agatha when she snaps out of it she doesn't rem she doesn't know why she's in the straitjacket. She doesn't know what's been going on. She's got that vague remembrance of Dorcas having been there. Doesn't yeah. fully remember, but I do think deep down she does kind of know, but it hasn't fully come to a full realization. Even that time period of uh, the perverse where she was lucid and she could remember yeah. everything. So yeah. even that has been kind of buried even temporarily or because it almost seems like Agatha doesn't remember anything before being brainwashed by Pan slash right. Blackwood. Agatha's story this season was kind of back and forth a little bit between mad Agatha and just fully aware Agatha but we have to remember the fully aware Agatha was still being brainwashed by Blackwood completely mm -hmm. brainwashed and when that wore off, she went back basically to how she was when she was under Pan's control. And then I think it took Dorcas, Dorcas's return and then leaving again to snap her out of that. So I think we saw a progression of her going from one, going from one form of being controlled to another and then going back to her old self once, once one of those... Uh, senses senses of control were just basically worn off it was mm -hmm. but but it but it was it could her story was a bit confusing this season though to to figure out exactly where she was like in her state of mind at, at certain points yeah so if that makes sense but but yeah it was it was a nice sweet touching moment with the sisters i agree i think uh just kind of wrapping up uh my thoughts on that part is um uh, I think what really did it for me is it's not so much the fact that, you know, now that Dorcas is Dorcas is leaving, she's going off to the afterlife for good. It's Agatha's, you know, it's Agatha being so unaware of what she did and asking Prudence, what did I do? What did I do? And then realizing based on what Dorcas said to her of saying, I forgive you. It was her realization of what she did is what made that scene so hard. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing, it was an awesome moment for that episode. And not a lot of uh, moments in this whole series really hit me like that. So, especially with three characters or two characters who 
barely had many speaking lines throughout the mm-hmm. entire series for that matter. So, yeah. but it still shows their impact. Yeah. The Endless. Oh, the AKA Endless. this episode. So I surprisingly don't have a lot to say as much as I did about the last couple episodes. I don't have as much to, that I wrote down about The Endless because The Endless was pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. I agree. I... I've got probably the least amount written for this episode. Although, so this episode is in that alternate universe where we've got the laugh track, the original aunties, um, Sabrina Morningstar is the one that went through the mirror into this alternate universe. So, but because it's um, a nice little homage to the sitcom, they did the uh, previously on yeah so they did that and i have said i think almost since our first recording that that penultimate episode of the seasons is always at one point one of the characters they all come together and they're like so here's the 50 insane things that just happened yep this season and in our first recording i didn't think we were really going to get that i you know because all everything is all pretty well contained uh, to each episode with the exception of just the overall threat Right. But here they did it. I don't know if they knew they did it or they knew they were giving it to oh, us, but they, they did, did it in form purpose. of previously on. And then here's all the insane shit from this season. When I first saw that, I was so confused. I was so confused when I first saw this previously on. Because I I what I, I didn't realize what we were about to get into with that episode. So I didn't know. And I was just like, why are they doing this? They've never done this. And then as the episode went on, I was like, oh, they're playing it like a sitcom. I totally get it. And I loved it. I, I loved it more the second time around because now I knew what was coming. And I thought it was just beautifully crap. And it, it was a great highlight of everything that happened up to that point. Because, at least for that season, because now we know we are, after this, we are one episode away from the finale. Mm-hmm. So, why not get everybody caught back up, get back up to speed, you know? So yep. yeah, very cleverly done. But like you, like I said, I don't have a lot. It, it's pretty straightforward. I felt in a way with bringing in the original aunties, it was just more for um, like the fans of the original series and right. this, in this series to right. kind of finally get that little bit of a crossover moment. Yeah, sure. Did you want Melissa Joan Hart to make an appearance? Because I did. A little bit. A little bit. Oh, she was like the stand-in Sabrina sleeping under the bed. bed. That would have been, I think that would have been too much. And I think collectively everyone would have just screamed. I would have laughed so hard. I would have cried. I guarantee you. I would have been like, this is amazing. Aside from it it being a pretty straightforward episode, there were some things that are are worth pointing out from this episode. First off, this is the lead-in to the void. We can't infer it. We can't forget that the aunties the uh the original aunties they are servants of the void they are well aware of this they've just been in this in this uh uh realm cosmos whatever for so long that they're used to playing their parts so i think it really took a lot of sabrina morningstars trying to break this mold that they're in for that to really all come out because once they took their true form and they were all demon-like they knew what was going on. But what was funny, though, is not everybody there knew what was going on, which I found interesting. So really, well, actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, do you think that even Hilda, the other Hilda and Zelda knew 
that the void was basically a presence within this within this realm that they were in or do you think at that moment the void kind of just took them over i think the void just kind of took them over so we learned that everyone in this realm are all the duplicates are servants of the void but i think how much they knew was based on the on what the void wanted them to know so that they can maintain their role like melvin you sure. know like sure. Melvin's role. He's he's not going to know everything. He just knows what his job is as a set person, director's right. assistant, whatever it was, to make sure Sabrina got to set and, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same thing with Faustus and um, Mary. Miss Wardwell. And, all them. Yeah, and yeah. I think, but I think the only ones that maybe they couldn't control, the Void couldn't control our aunties, and um ambrose and that's why he was in charge of the green room and not sent to be not sent to the set right right yeah because in the end once sabrina kind of realizes everything and that they're all servants of the void hilda zelda and ambrose are murdered they're they're killed by the duplicates or you know the servants of the void right 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 yeah, and same thing with all her friends too, Theo and all that. But I thought it was really clever that the way they use Salem in this episode. Salem was the star of the show. Salem works one day a week. Everything goes by Salem. Whatever Salem wants, Salem gets. And you know, I love that Salem was the head writer of the show too. I thought that was I thought that was cute. But then Sabrina cleverly calls out Salem, saying, "You know, if you're in charge of the show, what happens here? Then on page on page twenty nine. Um, and Salem's just like, uh, I don't know. And that's when Salem, I think, realizes that something's wrong with the world that he's living in. Because he always thought he was the man in charge, but then he realized at that moment, he's being manipulated to think he's the one in charge. She basically woke him up. Mm -hmm. Um, but his power over it hasn't changed, which I thought was really cool because when they were being chased I thought it was amazing when he was just like uh, Zelda or Hilda tripped over her shoe. Zelda has a sneezing attack, you know, stuff like that. I thought that was really cool and showed displayed just how much power he really had in this in this realm, which I think in the end, the Eldritch Terror didn't even realize they gave him that much to be able to manipulate it that way. But in the end, he still knew he had to get the fuck out of there. Yeah, because he told Sabrina that because um, he so Salem is the endless. He is the embodiment or the form that the endless took in this world of, you know, the sitcom or whatever, reliving that same day, playing out the scenes for his amusement, for the endless's fun and games. Like they are his playthings, they say. And he's always thinking, he's always thought that the endless and the void work in tandem. They even say that they work together and that they would never, because he's like, he's, hesitant he's resistant of this idea that the void is coming to destroy him as well the endless sure. Sure. like you know we're we're one in the same in a, in a way right they right. work in tandem and then yeah she points out that there's nothing after page 30 or page 29 he has that oh shit moment and he's like well you gotta you gotta get me out of here too so now she's responsible for saving an eldritch terror yeah oh good good call how did i not think of it that way that's such a good point. That 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 makes total sense. Oh man. 
and then she doesn't. So here's okay. So to finish well, up she the endless, she jumps. A, she jumps with him through the mirror. No, no. So to finish up the endless real quick before I yeah. go on, start shitting on the last episode. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, not all of it, but okay. I like that Ambrose was running the green room, and in a way, and I was hoping to get and go back and rewatch the tarot card episode, but Ambrose running the green room seemed kind of reminiscent of his tarot card reading of kind of like being alone and just, you know, working in the mortuary and dissecting bodies and essentially dissecting himself and his hands shoved through the meat grinder or whatever. But I didn't squeeze in the tarot card reading because I got sleepy. Mm-hmm. So I like that Caliban exists on this alternate Cosmo and he still praises the Dark Lord because when Sabrina Morningstar's like, oh, so you're not an actor. And he's like, well, thank the Dark Lord I'm not. I'd write, I'm much happier being a crewman because as an actor, he's like, all I am is a pretty face and flowing hair and mm-hmm. always taking my shirt off and being ad- objectified and <laughs> kind of does like a, an eyebrow wit raise like, well, yeah. you know. And then, and then like 10 seconds later, <laughs> He just takes his third off. But he did it because he can at that moment, not because he's being told to. He freely took his shirt off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of a cool part, too. I mean, Sabrina went up and hugged him, and he's like, Oh, we're not really supposed to be touching the actors. And like you could tell in that moment, like he's looking at her like, Oh, you're a little crazy with the things you're saying, but in a way, I kind of believe you. Like they he doesn't go flirty. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't like sit, like push her off to the side, say, "What the hell are you talking about?" Like he's totally accepting of everything she's telling him, as if he somehow has some sort of prior knowledge that just doesn't make that you know like rem, like like this all the, this all makes sense to him. Like, why does this all thing? It seems similar without it being obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so that was pretty much it. Like we said, pretty straightforward uh, episode. They ended it with a to-be-continued, like a two-part signal. It was a very fun episode to watch. Mm-hmm. The only disappointment I'll, I'll say I had with that episode is that I wish that we could have gotten a better throwback feel to the original Clarissa series. It's cool that we got the original, you know, we got the original Auntie, Aunt Z, and uh, Aunt Hilda, and that we got... Uh, 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 Salem but I think that for the stand-ins they should have maybe brought in the original Harvey instead of Nick try maybe they tried to do that maybe they tried to get some of the more of the original cast to come back and maybe they just weren't interested I don't know well there's also like the whole age difference you know could any of the original actors really come back and pull off a teenager even a 20 year old playing a teenager that's true too I didn't think but- about that I mean, but I think you're right. They could have had a bit more fun with some of the shout outs, callbacks and everything. But at the same time, I almost feel like you run the risk of then making it too campy, too cheesy, just um, a fan service episode, which isn't a bad thing. But how is this really going to second to last episode? How is this really going to help push the rest of the storyline into, you know, towards the finale? Yeah, right. I think it could have been done, but I think there's that fine line of fun and what we can accept and what's just messy and just 
trying to do too much. Yeah, sure, sure. And plus also, this is the lead up to the final episode. You don't want that. You don't want all this nostalgia to be too distracting for what's to come. So, and that leads to the end of that episode where it says to be continued, which I thought was disappointing. It should have said to be concluded. But it's that whole sitcom thing, I guess. Okay, yeah, sure. Previously on, and it's a two-part. They're, they're still sitcom. treating it like a sitcom, even though that mold was broken at the end, sure. But then... Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah. So, Sabrina jumps through the mirror yep. with the yep. Endless. Salem the Endless, right? And you're like, yes, they made it. She saved the Endless. She saved herself. She's going to get back and warn everyone. But then when she pops through the mirror in Spellman's room, where's Salem? And how did she get all bloodied and fucked up? And how did she actually die? Because it looked like she, unless the void was able to follow her, like chase her through that portal. And maybe there was some sort of like battle going from one mirror, from one portal to the other. You know what I mean? That we didn't see because, or like did just jump through a mirror really fuck her up that bad. How did she die? And what happened? Watch that scene again. Because Salem is in the scene. So when she's jumping through the mirror, she is still clutching Salem. I didn't notice this the first time, but I noticed it the second time. She is still clutching him. And as soon as she hits the floor, she lets go of him. And you can actually see the fake cat kind of tumbling on the floor a little bit. So he is there, but there's no attention paid to him. And the room is also dark, is is barely lit. So he is hard to see, but uh, he is definitely there. But... I didn't think about it the first time, but it made more sense the second time around watching it is why was there no attention drawn to this? How come Sabrina and Nicholas did not question why, aside from the fact that Sabrina Morningstar was dying, I understand why that was a distracted, but why was there no question about this black cat that came through with her? Like they paid no attention to that, but none. Um, and as far as the glass goes the way, or the, the, fa- the cuts on the face go the way, I take it as she jumped through glass. Maybe she just got cut. I didn't think about too much about the void following her through uh, through the cosmos or whatever. How did she die? How would she be dead? They don't address how she died. And it's, that is a little, dis- that's disappointing because we did the, did going between the two realms kill her? What, and I think you prove a good point. Did the void follow her? And did they have some sort of epic battle between that realm in this realm, or that realm in this realm, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Because, yeah, I completely did not see Salem, and I went back and rewound to when she jumps through the mirror a couple of times to see, like, well, did I miss a little bit of dialogue where she just real quick says that the void had attacked her while traveling. You know what I mean? To give a little bit of context to why she was dying. So at that point, I was more more wrapped up in the why is she dying how did she die with that with the secondary thought of like well where the fuck is salem because you're right it's not addressed and if he was there then at the bare minimum they could have had the cat salem the cat cat Mm -hmm. hiss at it or something to indicate like sure that's not a good thing because it's still an eldritch right and so does that mean then that the endless was killed it has to I mean, if she died on her way back, the Endless had to have died, too. And that's like, how could the Endless die unless actually defeated, killed by the void of all things? I need to look up fan theories. 
I need to look. We need to look up theories. There is a there there is an explanation for this out there somewhere. I guarantee you. So I I think that's going to be my biggest gripe of this episode. Um, other than just Lilith's role, and I've said enough. And about what about Miss Wardwell's um, but... role in this episode? What do you think of that? I thought it was kind of kind of unnecessary for her to explain everything that just went on, but at the same time it tells me that the church continued and she's the leader of this church now because she's telling the story to all in this, in this congregation or to the congregation of everything that happened up until the end of that episode. She talked about Sabrina's mm-hmm. sacrifice, you know, and everything that came before that. So that tells me that Blackwood's church is still going strong and now they have more followers because that church is packed. So that was kind of interesting to see how big of an influence, how, how small it started from that little tent in the first episode to now having a packed small church explaining the story. So, and now Miss Wardwell basically is the leader of this, uh, of this congregation. And I thought that was pretty interesting, but I just don't understand why we had to have her explain the story, why she had to narrate it. I just felt like that was a little it felt a little tacky doing it that way i think it's i think it's just the overall issue that we've kind of seen with this season is that there's just there's some characters and uh some storylines that were established in previous seasons and now they just didn't know what to do with them yeah because honestly i don't think wardwell needs necessarily needed to exist at all in this season because again, you know, we still have Judas and Judith that make a small quick cameo in, again, in the one of these last four episodes. And it's when, oh, it's when Blackwell actually goes to Miss Wardwell, I think, and she sews his, his head back on. But when she, when Wardwell opens the door, it's Judas and Judith standing there and then they step aside and Blackwood, Blackwood's yeah, behind right. them. Honestly, at any point, they could have lost Mrs. Wardwell in this season and easily put in Judas and Judith in in her place and given them a bit more of a storyline a bit more of a of a role because it seemed like after that their first born and everything like their birth and and the um Lady Blackwell being pregnant like that's that was it that was all that was needed from them for a storyline but the fact that they brought them back as you know teenagers full-grown teenagers yeah. and then did fucking nothing yeah their, Utterly their stories throughout has been the most have been the most disappointing it, they, their characters literally went nowhere there was a great idea there in season one when mrs when mrs blackwood was was pregnant with the twins and they had to separate them uh the idea of separating them to protect them you know it, it was a great plan i felt like that was going to go somewhere and in the end, they just fell so flat on Judas and Judith, but they could not, they couldn't ignore the fact that it, they had already been, you know, brought into the show. And they should have just left the baby Judas and Judith at, at some point, Judas as well, left them with that uh, hedge, the one, one rogue witch, hedge witch, and just left it at that. And that could have been the end of their storyline. And I don't think it would have been nearly as disappointing as what we actually got with those two. Because it's easy to just write off a baby off a show. You're just like, oh, they were 
they're being raised by some wood witch they're fine <laughs> oh my god that's so terrible <laughs> that's funny so i think yeah at this point miss wardwell is in charge of the church of whatever he calls it the church of the eldritch terrors or whatever so when that scene starts and she's reading the book to the congregation she says reverend lovecraft and i was yeah, like you're right. did i miss that you're, she does say that because I think they only call refer to um, Blackwood as Reverend Lovecraft. I think maybe once or twice earlier in in this season. So when she's addressing their new congregation and she's reading from that reading from Reverend Lovecraft's book, I just wrote real big. I was like, how the fuck did I miss that? <laughs> uh, one thing I forgot that we forgot to point out when we started talking about this was the name and title of this episode, which is called the, "At the Mountains of Madness." One other cool thing that actually happened in this episode, which I love, it was brief, it was only about maybe two minutes long, but I freaking loved it, was the return of the Trinket Man. Dude, what a cool character. You know, and, it, and it's like, he was only in the two episodes that he was featured in for maybe like, what, three, four minutes total between both episodes, but what an impact he had. The man who travels around with trinkets that could shape, that could change the shape of the universe, basically. In this scene, we see Sabrina going to looking at all the terrors that they have basically captured at that point and saying, okay, which of you are going to help me destroy the void? And the imp of the perverse basically starts speaking to her. Its eyes start to glow red. And she grabs it. Mm. She's about to make a wish. And next thing you know, there's a knock on the door and there's the trinket man. And she basically says to him, it's like, well, what do you have that that can destroy the void that this thing can't do and he offers her pandora's box like whoa that's cool what a what a, what a cool thing to put in that episode i love the trinket man i love that they brought him back um i know we talked a little bit about him the last time we uh recorded yeah. on kind of where that the mythology of the trinket man who he who this character was based off of uh, in Lovecraft and other theories. One other theory, which I kept in mind while I was watching this, that exchange of Trinket Man showing up just in time before Sabrina does something colossally stupid <laughs> and, and wishes something on the imp of the yep, perverse. Yep. And, and then suggests the Pandora, almost the Pandora, the Pandora's box. One of the theories, which I think we talked very quickly loosely and not a lot of spent a lot of time on last time was the possibility that the trinket man is actually god aka the false god mm -hmm. so in this little paragraph from screen rant the witches of greendale worship lucifer lucifer before moving on to praise hecate but god is always excluded when metatron the archangel arrives to reunite the two versions of sabrina they state that the false god knows about the coming of the eldritch terrors and would likely get involved in the cosmic event somehow in that vein, there's a chance that God himself arrived in Greendale to meddle, coming between the witches and the Eldritch Terrors. What he tried to accomplish beyond being nosy is anyone's guess. But the fact that angels clearly exist in the series means that it was only a matter of time before God showed up. And considering the Trinket's man, Trinket Man's role uh, in the Perverse and how he's sitting just outside of Greendale like he someone was going to try and come barreling through the border and positioning himself yeah. just in that right spot showing up and i think that's an amazing theory too 
I'm going to go with that. I'm going to, I am going to go ahead and say, I am going to believe the theory that the trinket man is God because he's always in the right place at the right time. He knows what it seems like he knows exactly when something, some shit's about to go down right before it goes down. Yeah. I think it makes sense. I, you know, because I think last time you liked the Kronos theory, but after this episode, mm-hmm. Trinket Man being God kind of makes a little bit of I'm, sense. I'm down with it because when you think about these other theories about who the Trinket Man was, all kind of lead into someone that uh, wants to meddle but not necessarily. Help. Yeah, right. And and you get that sense in the perverse episode because here he is giving the perverse to to Blackwood. You know he shows up at Blackwood's door and everything. And come on, you know. And if you look happen. at some like film, like film or television history, as far as how God is actually portrayed, in some cases, God is in some cases portrayed as just like uh, just like a regular looking person. You know, not really sticking out. What if God was one what of us? What if God was one of us? Thank you, Joan Osborne. So, you know, just not sticking out to, you know, amongst the crowd, you know, like in the movie uh, uh, um, Dogma, God came down as an old man who just wanted to play skee-ball. There's this movie that I absolutely love called Wrist Cutters. And uh, in this movie, God is portrayed as the whole movie basically takes place in the afterlife. But God is portrayed as just like this this dude who just offed himself and he's just trying to find his purpose and he had worked with other people to help them find their purpose but he doesn't give off any sense of god so i love that i love that angle in in hollywood where they don't make god this just outstanding um, being that you just need to bow down to it's just just some dude you know and this and in this case he's a guy who just travels around and he knows when you're going to fuck up. So he's going to offer you something so you don't fuck up. And if you don't take his offering, all right, well, I tried to help you. <laughs> you know, and for him to show up at Blackwood's door and because he told uh, Ambrose, he's like, yeah, it was, you know, the imp was stolen from me by a madman or yeah. whatever. It's like, okay, so under the assumption that the trinket man is God, then he knew that what what Blackwood was going to do. So in one in one hand, you'd almost think, why would God allow that? Why would God go down there and present that to them, uh, to Blackwood? But we also kind of bring in like free will. He can go down there. He can show up at Blackwood's door, but it's on Blackwood on what he does and how he reacts and what he takes. Because all these other theories of who the trinket man may be all lead into some sort of like chaos. Like they, they, they get involved just to kind of fuck with some shit and have a little fun. Humans be damned, doing the right thing, be damned. But in this episode, he shows up, as we said, right right before sabrina does something incredibly stupid stops her and then gives her the answer that they've all been looking for and how to stop the void but yeah it's all different traps and what a better way to trap the trap the void than to tread than to use the one tool that has been known to trap all evil all darkness all just all things bad than pandora's box Mm -hmm. i think it's you know, I the, when we're saying this out loud, I really want to believe that the writers had these same, same thoughts in mind, and they just wrote them in a way where they needed you to figure it out. Very clever character who did not have to have a humongous role throughout the series to make an impact. Kind of like Mambo Marie, only with but only with two episodes. So, yeah, so very awesome. Going on from there, Sabrina's basically 
after receiving Pandora's box, you know, she basically accepts her fate right away with it, knowing that she has to step into the void. And uh, there was a, a bit of an emotional moment there. She looks at Salem. She's kind of crying. And she says to Salem, she calls Salem a good boy. Mm-hmm. I think that was her way of saying goodbye to him. I was like, oh, damn. I, I mean, me being a dog and a cat owner, you know, it's kind of something you say to your pet when they're about to leave. It's an emotional thing, you know, and in this case, the role is reversed. She's about, she thinks she's about to leap. And so I thought that was a really cool, really nice line that they gave her right there to kind of end her time with uh, uh, Salem. Salem comes in, uh, comes in handy, comes in handy again a little later in the episode, but I thought that was nice. And then from there, she steps in through the mirror and into the void. Which did you ever watch? Did you ever watch The Good Place? Dude, we just finished The Good Place. (laughs) Okay, so did the void not look like Janet's void? (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be a better way to word that. (laughs) There's another line earlier in the episode where the trinket man says something, this box can trap your void. And I started laughing really hard because I am a fucking child. Yes, you are. Anyways, between the box and the void, this, depending on your maturity level, is chock full of giggles. But (laughs) I love it. Uh, I love it. But I get, I know what you're talking about because Janet's boy, Janet, Janet's boy was just all, it was just all white. There was nothing there. It was oh, all right, space. Yeah. That's all it was, empty space. Yeah. God, we could talk about that show for so long because I love Disco Janet. Oh, I loved that show. Jeremy, bear me, baby. But no, anyway. I agree. It, it was kind of like that. It, it was, it was just a big space. But the weird thing I found about the void though, I was just confused by how they chose to portray the void. And I don't really know how else they could have done it. That's the thing. Because the darkness was all dark. That's all it was. It was just darkness. And then the void is just emptiness. How do you really portray emptiness on screen? Well, a big open space, white space, whatever. Sure, that that works. But what I found interesting, as soon as you walk in, she walks in it, there's there's all the worlds that are on the floor that the void is already consumed. And the paintings on the wall um, are by M.C. Escher. You know, I was actually going to go in and write down all the paintings. And I realized once I started walking how many there were. And I was like, nah, I'll just say they're M.C. Escher paintings. People will know who I'm talking about. There you go. I was a little confused by that because I think the M.C. Escher thing was supposed to be kind of more of a just show that this is an infinite place. Because that's how Escher's painting mm-hmm. were, the staircase, the, the 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 writing hands, stuff like that, or the drawing hands. But then it said the void right on the wall. Like what was that necessary? It's like I think I knew we knew where we were. She even walked through like the lettering, like it was the as part of like the door. So it even like kind of like the V or whatever kind of creeps yeah. up. Like she walks through yeah. it, like literally walking into the void through yeah, the void. Right. A bit on the nose, but I, I know what you're saying. I I wasn't underwhelmed. I was just kind of like, okay, we're in Janet's void. The at the academy, the void was there too. It was written right on the wall. It's just that they read it backward. But so that, that was, was the door. So she entered. So could she have exited the door and wound up in the academy? I don't think it's like a direct door. You know, she had, to use the, magic. she had to use the mirror, I guess. Yep, to get to to travel to the void i don't think from the academy just walking through it because if that was the case then any one of them could have done it ambrose out sure um, sure sure i think just as 
just maybe with the coven and everything, having that kind of insight and knowing. I mean, that's what that room was, was the room with all the, all the realms. And now we see this encroaching wall. I don't, I don't know. I, no, maybe. no, I get it. I get it. Sabrina opens the box, you know, right after, you know, basically right after that. It starts sucking in everything around her. And I think that was the purpose. She had to basically use the box to encapsulate the everything that was already in the void. I don't know if it was reckless on the part of Ambrose, Zelda, Nick, and uh, uh, Hilda, and uh, Prudence. I think Agatha was there too, to summon her back. Mm-hmm. Because, But I don't think at the same time they really knew what she was doing. I don't think they realized they hit, that she had Pandora's box either. No, no, they had no idea. And usually Ambrose is the one who knows this stuff in advance. Then obviously he had no clue what was going on. Because I wonder if, if if they knew, would they have tried to save her? And I don't think so. I, I think they understand the point of sacrifice. But at the same time, the family is very, no, you're not going to die today kind of people. You know, we won't let this happen. But in this case, would they have allowed sabrina to continue had they known that she had the box i don't know i think they could have come up knowing that they had the trap the the tool to defeat the void they could have come up with a a different method of doing it because we see that you know nicholas is able to go in trap the last of the void and not get sucked into pandora pandora's box so they could have like brainstormed that and not taken the risk of Sabrina getting sucked into Pandora's box because Sabrina was full. And I'll admit this is probably the, her, her atonement for every, all the (laughs) selfish things that she's done in this quote year of her life. This was her trying to make up for it because she finally understood that this is all happening because of her, maybe not the Eldritch terrors specifically, but as she says, she is a beacon for them. Sure. So, this is her finally taking responsibility, but I think she took it a bit far right. <laughs> in true Sabrina fashion right. and just thinking she had to do it all on her own. She probably knew the family was going to stop her and she was willing and ready to make that. We have to keep in mind, though, uh, that they couldn't bring back her body. They couldn't bring back her physical right. form. They can only bring back her soul. And since they had Sabrina Morningstar's body in the mortuary, they basically had the, brought back the soul to transfer it into Sabrina Morningstar's body, which leads me to Lucifer in this episode. Lilith basically tells Lucifer about this because she, overhear, she overhears a conversation about it happening. And then Lilith, being Lilith of season four, for some reason, uh, goes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and tells Lucifer and Caliban about Morningstar being dead. And what they've done with her soul and transport with uh, Sabrina uh, Spellman's soul and transferred into uh, Morningstar's body. Again, what is she expecting out of this? She says to, she basically tries to extort Lucifer. She tries to use that information as leverage so she can get her powers back. It's like, do you really think you're doing yourself a favor by telling him this and then expecting something in return? This guy's going to be more focused on his, trying to get his daughter back than your powers right now. And again, in comparison to Lilith, Lilith from seasons one through three, this is very un-Lilith. I mean, this because this is when Lucifer does say that she is being pathetic because she's yeah. basically begging Lucifer for her powers back. And then when he won't do that, that's when she stabs him in the angel scars 
and then and then like and then she's like drinking the blood where he's bleeding from the back. Oh, the blood drinking. <laughs> that feels like kind of a cliche. Totally. But then in like the next scene with those two, Lucifer is now laying on his back and she's sitting on top of him and she's like, "Oh, this is kind of like when we were first together." But if you look, the the blood pooling uh behind him are like angel wings. Oh, are they? Yeah, they kind of come up behind each shoulder blade in a angel wingy manner. Oh, and I didn't notice that. Then it's like, so then, yeah, what does happen to Lucifer? Does does that pooling, blood pooling mean anything? Is Or is that just some fun imagery to throw in because he is yeah. a celestial and technically still an angel? Sure, sure. I had noticed that. I thought that was just kind of fun. What What came out of that, though? was actually interesting before she decided she was going to go and uh, kill Lucifer after she revealed what, what happened, what came after that was it, what I thought was kind of cool where Caliban and Ben, uh, Beelzebub, Beelzebub, I can never pronounce his name properly. They go to Greendale. They show up in the mines and the miners are in there and take over. They use what's called the Legion uh, to take over the miners to use them as soldiers to fight the Spellman, uh, 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 get Sabrina back, Sabrina Morningstar, uh, get her body, because they, they want to give her a proper burial. That's all they want to do, is they mm-hmm. want to give Lucifer's daughter an appropriate burial. They show up at the Spellman's place, and uh, some shit's about to go down, and then next thing you know, people are disappearing left and fucking right. And it's like kind of what you were talking about a year earlier with uh, with Metatron when they all had their hands out. Now Sabrina's just going whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. You're gone. You're gone. You're gone. We saw that a little earlier before that too, when she woke up on her 17th birthday and like she wanted to turn off her alarm clock and the alarm clock was gone. Mm-hmm. And then she went to go eat breakfast and then her pancakes disappeared. And then she was going to eat cake and then her cake disappeared, but no one knew what was going on. They thought Serena was just fucking around, but mm-hmm. she had basically taken in the void. They thought they had defeated the void somehow when they brought her back. They thought that she encapsulated enough of it into Pandora's box to completely destroy it. But that was just the beginning. Sabrina is now the void. Mm-hmm. We see this, especially when Caliban and Lucifer come to try to claim her body and she's making the soldiers disappear and then harvey's dad and harvey being harvey who just can't understand things as to why they happen the way they happen gets mad at sabrina when his dad was literally about to run up to her with a shovel and like bash her in the head with it and he's like sabrina what'd you do to my dad (laughs) it's like come on harvey let this one go just let this one go you know harvey's dad this season like getting kidnapped by satanic panic and souls <laughs> on the line and now he's possessed with some demon legion and then zapped into the void <laughs> he's a very interesting fellow but i just said i don't know the second time around i got more pissed off that harvey got upset about that because he was harvey clearly still coming. harveying harvey's still harvey man i'm telling you I also like how they decided to Nick and Ambrose repurpose an Eldritch Terror and make it into a face mask so Nick could survive in space. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what that kind was of witch Pinterest shit is that? <laughs> That's clever. That was clever. Uh, it's kind of like, have you ever seen those, um, if you ever go on uh, like Etsy and like you see like the Ood ma- uh, masks that people wear 
Like you mm-hmm. could buy an oud mask and it's all, it's all crocheted. Yep. It kind of reminded me of that when we saw him again. <laughs> I you thought can that get was... an oud mask. You can get face hugger. I mean, there are some crafty motherfuckers out there. There absolutely are. Absolutely. Let's see. Let's take a quick break because I got to get one of the kids in the bathtub. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, back where we basically kind of left off. Um, so. Sabrina is the void, basically. Ambrose did that body scan of her that he, yep. he did in the previous episode. Realized there is nothing in her. Oh, you had asked if I thought what they did was reckless, summoning her soul. I do think it was reckless, only because they didn't know what was going on. Because uh, Sabrina just went and did it herself, probably knowing that they would try and talk her out of it, talk her out of sacrificing right. herself. Right. So during the rewatch... I was just like, no, don't do it. So she's so close. Just let her, let her be. But the theme that we've seen play out throughout the series is family and they will do anything for each other. Uh, Zelda even kicks out uh, the returned Edward once she catches him trying to attack Sabrina. That's true. And locks him in another room, doesn't get rid of him completely. I don't think she could, but at that point she stood up to her brother that she was so excited to have back because- the living, her living family is what's important to her. Right. Still, Sabrina should have never antagonized him, but we already talked about that. <laughs> we discussed that. Yeah, so basically Sabrina is the void. And, you know, during the part where she, after she makes all the, the, the miners disappear, you know, she's sitting in um, in a room with everybody, basically. The whole gang and family are there. And everybody is, like, asking her, what's going on what'd you do what'd you do what'd you do and it gets to the point where it becomes really a little too much for sabrina and she she teleports herself out of the house and away from everybody because she doesn't want to hurt them she doesn't Mm -hmm. want to cause them any harm and make them disappear and then the next part of this is like we have to find sabrina typical fashion of this group basically that's where you know the thing that pops up something pops up on the screen i don't remember what says says like maybe like two weeks later or something like that and we find sabrina at what's called the mountains of madness which is the name of this episode from behind her there's this person who's walking towards her it turns out that it's father blackwood and we learn at this moment that blackwood is immune to the void so the void has no power can't do it can't touch him um, I don't. I don't remember if he's mentioned it. I don't. I don't recall it. But I don't know if that had anything to do with his mark of Cain. I think he said because because he's a servant of the void. Because I I wondered that too if it was because of the mark of Cain. But I think he actually says in that moment when she tries yeah. to poop him away that he's like he's immune to it. And I think he says it's because he's a follower a worshiper i would find that interesting though because the void is all consuming it's its goal its end goal is to consume all things yet if you follow the void if you're a servant of the void you're spared maybe initially because he's the one that called the out like so he's he's the oh so that's so like the void is using him okay sure oh that makes more sense and they still need Blackwood to fulfill his role. And at this point, it's now sacrificing or making sure Sabrina dies right. in a sacrifice. So I could, at least in that sense, where at least for now, Blackwood is safe, but not 
you know, had the void actually taken over, I don't think. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Now. I think that's, I think that makes perfect sense. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, then at this moment when they're together and they're talking, he offers to help rid the void from Sabrina. And not only that, but also if she wanted to learn to control it, which I think was just more him manipulating her. But she saw through that, as we later learn in that episode, but she still accepts his help because she needs to learn as much about the Void as she possibly can so she can defeat it. So she basically, much like the Void playing him, now she's playing him too and is totally given into it just so she can look and play the part correctly. I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was a really uh, ballsy thing to do for her, you know, we already know she's willing to sacrifice herself, but now to get even closer to Blackwood, her arch nemesis, to be able to get closer to the void and understand it, that takes guts. Because basically, she is putting trust into Blackwood while manipulating him at the same time. She's very determined to beat this thing. And I think that finally shows a bit of real growth yeah. uh, in Sabrina and in that she's willing mm -hmm. to make take that risk. I did like that. So some time has passed and he's put up like a, a, yep. a temple, you know, they're living in like a mountain or something in a cave and it's um, Ambrose, Roz, yep. Prudence and Agatha that locate uh, Blackwood and, and Agatha has Salem, 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 Salem did lead those four to find Sabrina and as they're walking up and Blackwood's collecting firewood or whatever, and he's welcoming them to, I wrote, Blackwood's just going around starting <laughs> new religions and churches all the time because now it's the temple of the void. <laughs> and it's like, and meanwhile, you've just left Wardwell in charge of your I just can't make up his mind church. as far as what he wants like, to worship anymore. <laughs> this is why, this is why religion is so dangerous. <laughs> just saying. We do, because... Zelda flips, flip-flops throughout the series. That's true, but it, well, different, different, different motives. motives. She, different she motives, did it for good, he did it for evil, but whatever. His is always a, a pursuit of power, where hers, I truly think, especially after this season, has been an in, internal peace fulfillment kind of thing. But yeah, uh, you know, like I said, they arrive at the Mountain of Madness, and then he invites them into the temp, into into Meet the Void, and they just so happen to arrive at dinner time. And he has to say the boy has to be fed. He calls Sabrina the priestess of nothingness. And he says something witness as she emerges for her daily feeding. And I'm like, like she's a fucking zoo I thought that was like the cheesiest Jesus. line too. Was like, he straight up does not give a shit about this girl. Funny when she's walking out too, because she is totally, totally devoted to this role of manipulating him by coming out using the two canes. Mm -hmm. uh she's taken a vow of silence well she breaks like 10 minutes later <laughs> yeah yeah that didn't take too long for her to break but like she's like all like grungy her hair her hair is all nappy um and she's wearing like some weird long blue shirt like uh, like i don't even know what that was it was almost like a long nightgown like an old dressing gown or something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, kudos to her for fucking playing her part just so she could get out all the information she could to uh, uh, find out about the void. I don't think, though, she was expecting any of them to show up. So I think that's probably why she broke the way she did. She played the part for a little bit, but then I, real I think she must have realized that they're here. 
I, I can't, I can't keep the charade up for too much longer, you know, because they're trying to get me out of here. I have to stay here. I don't want to hurt them. But then she ends up transferring Roz and Prudence into the void herself, not intentionally. I, I don't believe it was intentional, but it ended up happening. At this, it was, I think at the, that moment, she's realized, okay, vowel of silence is broken. Here's what's going on. Her vow of silence was always temporary, you know, and I think as soon as they showed up, she had to let them know what was going on. And then she, yeah, whether intentional or accidental, uh, zapped uh, Prudence and, and Roz away, which was enough to kind of chase off, scare off Ambrose and Agatha. But then Ambrose, once he got back to the aunties and everything, he's like, well, Sabrina told me when we need to go back telepathically. Yeah, yeah. So at least now they have like a time frame because perhaps Sabrina still couldn't control it and she still needed that time with Blackwood. Right. And actually she said, so during that scene, before she makes Roz and Prudence disappear, she, uh, Prudence, Agatha, and Roz are sitting at that table mm-hmm. uh, and they're, they lock their pinkies together the way that the weird sisters do so they, uh, 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 so they can link with one another. And they see that Blackwood is still searching for the rest of the void. Yeah, mm-hmm. So Blackwood notes that Sabrina is not in complete control of the void. Also at that moment, they realize that's not a table that they're sitting at at all. It's a sacrificial altar. Um, and very, very interesting uh, set piece there, I thought. Uh-huh. Um, but Sabrina straight up tells them right there because they keep saying, Sabrina, we got to go. We got to get you out of here. And she's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And when the sisters work together to try to use their magic to force Sabrina to leave, that's when Sabrina uses the void to make and makes Roz and uh, 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 Prudence disappear, which again, I don't think purposely was what she wanted to do. But I think the argument could be made that it was intentional. Maybe by now she knows where people are being zapped to and that's into the void, essentially into her. So maybe- yeah, so maybe she knew that was she needed to do something to push them away so she could continue to work with Blackwood. So perhaps I guess the argument, like I said, could be made that it was intentional. It was to try and save them, but also still motivate them by and time. get them away by time. Absolutely. So I don't know one way or another. I kind of still took it as she still didn't have control and it was unintentional. Okay. Okay. I can get behind that. Sure. Sure. Yeah, because Roz is the one that's still pushing. No, we're not leaving without you. We're not, she's the one pushing that. And then right. well, once she makes friend, Roz, you know? yeah, absolutely. And then once Sabrina made Roz disappear, Prudence went on the attack because now that's her new weird sister. And I am glad that while we did lose uh, Mambo Maria as a weird sister, we did, we did ultimately get Agatha back. So we were able to complete that chain. Prudence is extremely protective of her sister. Like you said earlier, she played the big sister role. And I think even though Roz was new to that group is learning to build trust with Prudence. I think Prudence already sees something in Roz that resembles the relationship that she has with Agatha and what she had with Dorcas. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So I, I do respect that. Yeah. While all this is basically going down and after they've disappeared, Nick returns with Sabrina Spellman's body and with Pandora's box. Basically have to take the box now to the Mountain of Madness so they can 
try to basically destroy the void and save Sabrina. Interesting how it turns out. <laughs> in the I love end. how they they tricked Blackwood. They used his own greed, and even on the rewatch, I was like, "Like, what are you doing? Why are you giving that box to him?" Totally forgot that they like wired it, you know, with explosives and and stuff. That just shows how vain he really is, though. Because mm-hmm. he takes the box, and when he gets the box, he basically tells them, "No, you're all gonna die," or whatever he says. He opens the box, and bam! Now he's blind, and it's just. I loved it. Blackwood as a character is an asshole, but Blackwood as a character is also really well written. I feel like this season, although he played a pretty big role in the end, this season he wasn't utilized as much as I'd really had hoped. You know, we had his decapitated head. He can't be killed. And I thought some of the stuff with his body walking around, you know, you know, and grabbing the head, I thought that was kind of cool. But I'm glad that Blackwood got his comeuppance in the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love the way that Prudence basically took me- took measures into her own hands the way that uh, she got revenge on her father. I thought that was really sweet. Absolutely. I, I completely, completely agree. That was so satisfying. I think definitely one of the more satisfying parts to this episode. When she cut him up with that chainsaw, although we didn't see it happening on screen, we knew what was happening. And it was just, I was satisfied with it. I thought it was great. The whole point of that too was, you know, so he, so she can scatter his body parts to the four corners of the earth, which I chuckled because yep. I was like, it's round. There's no corners, but you know, you think north, <laughs> south, east, west, but <laughs> calling the corners or whatever. So I, I loved that, you know, he can't be killed, but chop him up, sprinkle him around. Can't do any, any damage unless in the sequel, Wardwell seeks out the pieces. <laughs> and she would too. She would too. That's the thing. Maybe that should be the spinoff series. <laughs> the Chilling Adventures of Miss Wardwell. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, where did I leave off? And then we... I so, pretty, mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say, so now Blackwood's kind of taken out of the equation. And so they're able to try it. So they're there to try and save Sabrina. And Sabrina's like, no, this this is literally like the only way. But we also, come up with the plan. we also found out right there that it was his plan all along to is- extract the void from Sabrina, trap it inside an ancient arch, and then take the void into himself. That's exactly yeah. what, that was his plan all along. So that's where the altar, yes, that, that was his total end game plan. Killing Sabrina was just kind of a cherry on the top for him. Right. So she acknowledges that she still needs to die and do the bloodletting on this altar, which then drips the blood and then, yep, feeds into the, um, we'll just call it a Stargate because it kind of looked like one, uh, the portal. <laughs> God, Stargate. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but it's really, you know, she has to be cut open. They cut her open along her chest, the drainer in it. You know, they're draining the void from her. It's going into that sacrificial altar, into the different type, different like cuts that are made into the altar, so it could go back through that Stargate. You know, <laughs> uh, well, what else is it? You're you're right. It's like Stargate. <laughs> and then at that same time, you know, we got we got Har- we got Harvey, we got Nick, and we got Ambrose that are going in to save people. While at the same time, Nick is using Pandora's box to trap it. Can I just ask, okay, because Robin was, like, the, the whole gang is there. Yeah. The whole Sabrina gang is there. Yeah. 
why didn't they send the speedster in to go collect the people? Yeah, Robin and Theo are the ones left to hold the ropes. I mean, look, I have nothing against Robin. I have nothing against Theo. I love them both. But if we're talking about we need someone with pure strength to hold this rope while this is happening, Robin and Theo would not be my first choices. I am sorry. Okay. Really? Sorry, guys. I, you but... know, I understand the purpose of putting Nick in there because Nick can probably handle it better than any mortal can, even though they send in Harvey, which was really confusing. But whatever. I think because his dad was in there, there was no way of keeping Harvey from going in there to try and save his dad. But I still think that they could have, because Prudence was one that went in as well. But I also think that Robin could have just gone in there and done his little zoomies. Give him that, give him a purpose this episode, the, in this season. That, and that would have been a good way to do it, you know? In fact, if they would have used Robin to go in there and save people, I think that would have kind of made up a little bit for the role he's had in this season so far, as far as his breakup or whatever you want to call it with Theo. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. but that didn't happen. So it is what it is. Basically, now we're at the point we're at the true endgame. Sabrina's sacrifice is beginning. Mm -hmm. She's draining the void out of her. They're praying to Hecate to try and hold on to Sabrina and then so is that who that woman in black was that's what I was thinking too because they only panned on her for just a second and it had to have been who else could it have been unless the only other thought of who it could have been which I think this is kind of a stretch so I'm not going to dwell on this theory too much but it could have been from uh the previous season or uh, what the the banshee from the previous season do you think because the Banshee wore a very similar wore very similar clothing. Because I think the Banshees are basically there kind of to gather the dead. I don't really know their purpose too much. But maybe I'm wrong. It just kind of reminded me of that. It reminded me of the Banshee from season... Was it season three? I think it was season three. can't remember. But wasn't the Banshee Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Blackwood? Now that I'm thinking about yes. it. I think it makes more sense that it would be Hecate, though, because they're there. They're praying to Hecate. You got Agatha, Hilda, and Zelda just all there saying their prayers. And all of a sudden, just off in the corner, there's this woman in black. And Hecate, you know, I don't think, I don't know really much about Hecate aside from what I, the little bit I've written, but I'm guessing it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility for her to wear black. No, but I think when you think of like the moon or a goddess of the moon, you would think more of like a full moon. So like the white lunar look, lunar look. Um, but that doesn't mean that it still, you know, couldn't be like a, a new moon, a dark moon. Right. And all in right. black. So my, my thought was maybe my first thought was maybe it's Hecate and they're, they're calling on her with such force and veracity to try and save Sabrina that she actually manifests there. But then she disappeared after, so everyone is saved from, um, comes through the void gate, Stargate, and and now Sabrina has died, and the white goo of that she was bloodletting is now actually red, blood, blood red, and the woman in black is gone. So then I thought, is she death? Was she death? Oh, was she death? Waiting there to collect Sabrina, and then once Sabrina died, gone right right oh. i didn't read and i didn't read any theories or anything on who the woman in black could have been so this is all just as i'm bibbly babbling yeah what are people's thoughts on the woman in black absolutely 
it's I, I yeah i think it one or the other for me i don't think she's the banshee anymore i take that back she's either death or she's hecate i'm leaning more towards hecate just because at that moment they were praying to her and maybe hecate finally you know we see her we see her in her physical form yeah it is very possible it could have been death hmm. yeah and you know why not have death be a woman and in cool black lace sure big big fancy hat absolutely like she's british and you know it's at that moment too where she really starts to say her goodbyes and she starts naming everybody individually it's an emotional moment we've watched i mean I, I would say we've watched sabrina grow but honestly it's only been a fucking year of her life <laughs> she hasn't grown that much everyone else seems to have but but you know you, they say that when you die you have you you start to flash have flashes of your life and i found mm-hmm. it I don't know if I found it like interesting or just kind of a letdown or wish we would have gotten more, but it was just birthdays that we got. We just saw flashes of her birthdays when she was young. And yeah, I get it. She's, it's a time for celebration. She's with her family and her friends, you know, I get that, but she had so many moments that even appeared in the television show that they didn't flash back too much on. And I wish they could, since they did record some new material, to show those birthdays when she was younger i kind of wish they would have just had other moments that they showed that she would have had with the aunties you know maybe like them going through a park you know or just something fun with each other that's i thought the birthday gimmick was just a little was just a little too easy to use you know i know what you mean i i just kind of took it as the series started on her birthday and it ends on her birthday so it's just that a, a collection of that you know the the series starting and ending being birthdays so that's just what they're going to show apparently birthdays were maybe just a big thing and i love that the birthdays were always just small family things and at first ambrose isn't there i don't think and then a couple birthdays in the flashback poof he's there there he is yeah. so it's like oh so there's his house arrest <laughs> so he starts his house arrest when she was nine <laughs> there you go oh that's really funny actually but um yeah um and then basically after that you know harvey nick and ambrose they return with everybody everybody and they're all super happy and they're harvey celebrating he's like sabrina we did it we did it and then next thing we know we cut to sabrina's body and she's dead and it goes from this moment of celebration to just this moment of pure just sadness the girl who we have followed over the last four seasons our protagonist is dead from what we can tell so far she's not coming back you know she's dead dead uh but she sacrificed herself to save everybody and you gotta wonder you know was this sabrina's purpose her purpose was to fuck a bunch of shit up and then fix it yeah pretty much (laughs) i swear you guys i love this show but we we, we can easily judge the shows we love that's the thing that's the thing believe me i have a lot of things to say about Uh, but you know she's dead and now we're we're seeing that uh she's being buried on the grounds you know at the mortuary or you know at the spellman mortuary which by the way couldn't she technically be brought back to life if she's buried in there technically couldn't she rise from the dead like hilda has so many times i would think so but so maybe maybe there is such thing as permadeath even when you're when you're buried on the buried on those grounds but still she's buried but also we get both sabrina morningstar and sabrina spellman's headstone buried next to each other so i thought that was nice 
Which tells me that Lucifer has to be, well, Lilith has banned him and stripped him of his powers, I believe, because, you know, otherwise, how would the Spellman's been allowed, quote, allowed to bury Sabrina Morningstar when, as we said, all Lucifer and Caliban wanted was the body back to have a proper Queen of Hell burial. So we know Caliban, Caliban got sucked into the void and they did not save him which I guess is fine since Sabrina Morningstar is dead because otherwise had she lived, she might've had something to say about That's true too. not saving her husband. If they, those two were truly, truly in love, which I still- Caliban wanted power, no doubt, but he also wanted to rule hell with her. You know, he wanted to be her king and he wanted her to be his queen. And he did truly care for her. He loved her, but you know, it's- Fortunately, Caliban, uh, things didn't work out the way that he, he was hoping it And he's made of clay, so he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Um, <laughs> but we do see Lilith at the at the funeral off to the side, uh, as mentioned earlier, looking pretty sad and broken up about it. Right. So I thought that was a nice touch that she was there to mourn as well, even though there's still a lot of questions about the fuck's going on with her. And then even at the Academy, they honor Sabrina with the statue. Which they is got that like, up quick. Dude, right? <laughs> like, in no time. Was that in a different room? Because it, remember, that, that, remember, the place is pretty infinite, if I remember. So I, I, I don't believe they would have taken down the statue of Hecate to put up the statue of Sabrina. I think this is probably located in a different area of the... Uh, Hecate's, the Hecate's statue is in the same room. It's just that it's not in the center of that room. So oh. they've been kind of both pushed off to the side. So no statue is in the center center because at one point Zelda turns to Hecate and to the statue and was just like, why couldn't you have sustained her? Why couldn't you have saved her? Oh God, why am I not remembering this? And then I think, because it's, I think there's only one really quick shot where you do see them side by side, kind of side by side. Maybe I had my head down right at my, right at that moment and I just didn't notice it. Yeah, could be because my thought too was, well, where did the, like, they're so quick to replace statues here. <laughs> right. Like, where did they shove her off of all of a sudden to, you know, sure. but I, I think they were both just in that same, same room. Right. Okay. Well, uh, and then, you know, Zelda or Hilda at that moment then tells Zelda that her and Dr. C will be moving back into the mortuary with each other because she doesn't want her sister to be alone. Yeah, she's got Ambrose, but honestly, she needs her sister. And she realizes this because Zelda's strong. She's an extremely strong woman, but this is going to... She needs the support. She needs as much support she can right now because she just lost her niece, mm-hmm. who basically she raised like her own daughter. Hilda being the sister that she is, is saying, you know, me and Dr. C, we're going to move in basically her saying i'm gonna take care of you now she's like spellmans need to stick together exactly exactly and now dr c is the spellman so Yay. he's gonna play, play his role too i love dr c I do love him. he was I great Hilda still calls him dr c i know it's all it's just a cute, oh, nickname, cute. You know? it's a cute nickname for each other and then from there i mean we really start winding down on the episode at that point there's only a couple minutes left in the show i mean mm-hmm. this is where we see where uh, blackwell or blackwood is still still alive gets chainsawed mm-hmm. by his daughter and again like you said she scatters his body parts around the world 
So, and I thought that was a satisfying end, not just a Blackwood story. I thought that was also a very satisfying end to Prudence story. It's, it was, but we finally saw Prudence get the revenge she always wanted to get. And, you know, Prudence, you know, personally that Prudence has been like one of my favorite characters in this entire series. I love Prudence. And I know I keep talking about spin off this, spin off that, but I would love to see a store, a show about Prudence, Roz, and Agatha just get a get a weird sisters spinoff and just their adventures. I think that would be a lot. I would love to see how Roz navigates now being the witch and student of Greendale. Sabrina doesn't have that title. Now it's Roz. And I believe the show could still thrive even without Sabrina. Well, we'll, we'll go back to that in just a second. Mm-hmm. Now we're basically at the end of the episode and we're in a white room again. The hereafter. Totally got good place vibes again. Good place vibes totally hit me on that as well. So your thoughts on this ending after all of this buildup, after all of this that's happened this season, what are your thoughts on how this ended? So I don't have any problem with Sabrina dying for a finale. I think it makes sense. It's the most grown up responsible thing that she's done and I'm here for it. I am utterly pissed off about Nicholas's ending because he just goes he's so heartbroken he swims in the I don't know the swamp of sadness or yeah, whatever the, the, fuck. the sea of sorrows yeah <laughs> the swamp of sadness I love that and guys just so he can be with Sabrina I think is complete and utter bullshit I think tv shows especially centered around teenage characters need to be careful when they decide to throw in suicide as a point for the story, whether it's at the end, wherever they put it. And because I felt that they romanticized his decision to kill himself, which, because then she's just like, her reaction is just like, oh, Nicholas. And he's like, well, now we have forever. And she's like, oh, that's true. I would, if I'd have been Sabrina, I would have been fucking pissed. I've been like, you wasted your entire life for what high school crush so here's my thing here if they really wanted nicholas to have died and then reunite with sabrina in the hereafter all happy-go-lucky he should have died then earlier in this season if not maybe this episode at some point maybe he didn't recover didn't complete maybe the pinterest eldritch mass (laughs) thing yeah right like it, it failed and he dies and that would have been tragic and that would have been sad and the audience would have loved slash hated it but then to continue the story as it did and then only bring him back and then have them reunite in the hereafter so when she dies when they had when they both when they when we see basically her in the hereafter we see her and then we see that nicholas was there probably waiting for her or yeah. something like that yeah okay I, i'm with that I feel like that would have, at least for me, that would have sat a little better because, you know, in a, in a finale, you have the loss of major characters, favorite characters, fan favorites, yeah. all of that. They could yeah. have had that impact of killing off Nick early in the episode, even if not the whole season, earlier sure. in the season, sure. and then still had that end game moment between the two of them yeah and right. get that I mean, romantic oh now they do get to spend all of eternity together yeah but just throwing yourself into the sea of sorrows like he what did bullshit is that i mean it's just first off 
I mean, was he really so lonely without her? I mean, he had a whole group of friends with him for moral support. And Nicholas, Nicholas Scratch, you know, I'm sure he loves Sabrina. He absolutely does. But he's young. You know, you know who I think about in this case? I think about uh, Kate Winslet and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. And how when she let go of Jack and he went down into the ocean, she still lived her life. But in the end of the movie, when she died, a withered old lady, she re- she returned to the Titanic, which we can use this as a representation of the hereafter. And instead of being reunited with whoever she was married to at that time, or her last husband, she was reunited with Jack. Mm-hmm. So we could have had something very similar to that take place with Nicholas dying early on. I totally agree with you. Because it is a very... One again, I feel like the writers took the easy way out to make it to give it that happy lovey dovey, everything's gonna be okay ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing okay about what he did. There's nothing okay about it. I would have even been satisfied had we not even seen Nick at all in the end. Exactly. Maybe she could have been reunited with her actual father, with her actual mother. That actually would have been, I think, I think seeing her in the hereafter. And then maybe just, and this is, of course, me just picturing things in my head on how I would have written it. You know, she's sitting there. Next thing you know, we hear footsteps coming up behind her like we do for Nick. But she turns around and there's Diana and there's Edward. Mm -hmm. And they sit with her on the bench and they're reunited. Now, that would have been a very satisfying ending to the show. Yes. Nick lives his life. He'll be reunited with her someday. But I definitely like that better than even the way I I rewrote Nicholas's death. I think, yeah, Nicholas could have just as easily lived and she could have still had a major reunion moment with her parents. Yeah. Diana didn't really have any role at all in this series in the last two two seasons, really, which was disappointing because she was such a major focus in the first two in the first two seasons. And then in the Christmas episode, she was such Mm -hmm. a big focus. And then that just kind of fell off. I wonder why. I want to know what the reason was. Why? Why did Diana not matter to any much to so much anymore to the to the writers? Especially now that we know that this has all just been within the last year. It's not like it's each season is a different yeah. year that would explain time having passed, growing, putting that distance between that memories and the wants, and now things have shifted yeah. and Sabrina's got new um, passions and is driven by other things. Yeah, you know, but. But you know, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, you know, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. That's the ending we got. And what's interesting is now we talk about the possibility of like a channel like HBO Max picking this up and being able to keep the series going. But what's interesting there is the showrunners ended this series in a way that it would be extremely difficult to explain how Sabrina is back. She's dead. Nick is dead. Now they could do like what they're doing for Dexter and act like this last season never happened and just do it all over again. But this that was last good... season never happened. <laughs> it never happened. I know it ended after season four. And I stand by that. <laughs> you know what? I've never actually watched it past season four. I think I'm pretty sure that's the last time I've saw it. I did. And it's very forgettable. Okay. But with this, you know, any station tried to, or streaming service, whatever, tried to, renew the show i think the best way to do it is just start from the beginning 
just start just tell a whole new story get you know shit bring back the same actors i don't care just give us a new story you know because you can't pick up where you left off with the way or you can't pick up with with the way they left off because at they're just stretching it at that point there's nothing there it was a dissatisfying ending to a very satisfying season to a very satisfying season which is very very upsetting because mm-hmm. i kind of got a game of thrones vibe from the ending not as far as like how it ended but just Rushed like we, we came this far just for it to end this way mm-hmm. you know granted four seasons versus eight seasons but the I would watch this. I'm going to watch this season again. I love this show. You know me. I watch these. I watch these seasons multiple times. I'll definitely watch season four again, and I'll watch it all the way through. Mm-hmm. But now I'm all I'm going to think about when I'm watching that those final that final like minute and a half of the show is why was this not Diana and Edward? Yep. That should have been the ending we got. So because I was fine with the hereafter, I was okay yeah. with that. You know, nothing wrong with it. It was all Nicholas. It used yep. to be Harvey. Now it's Nick. Now Fuck it's Nicholas. God damn it, Nicholas. <laughs> God damn it. So if the show were to be picked up by HBO Max or whomever, when you're working with a world of magic and witchcraft and supernatural, it's really easy to, it would be really easy for them to find some new ancient spell that Ambrose may have come across in all his books that could somehow bring him back. We saw that they can bring back the dead. And as long as they reunite the soul with the body season one, they're all good. It's that reuniting the soul with the body that gets to be tricky. So theoretically they could do that. Like what they did to Harvey's brother and do it successfully and do it well. And in that sense, bring her back. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that for a a season five and not a reboot. I think if they were to continue with the series kind of as is, I would like to see more of like we've what we've talked about, it becoming more or less a spin-off of the other characters and not focused on Sabrina. Of course, they'd have to change the title and it'd be a slightly different premise, but we would then see, we could see how uh, Hilda and Zelda and Mr. C and Ambrose are going on, how they're doing. Um, yeah. all living together in the house the and what sisters, kind of Theo, Theo the weird sisters Theo and Robin maybe take Theo us to the Fey realm go ex- I was just about to say that they could visit the Fey realm and then we can get that part of um some magic and storyline that is a cool thing about a show like this like you mentioned you know shows about magic and witchcraft stuff you there's so much potential there for what they can actually do with it Yes, Sabrina brought us to where we are now. We followed Sabrina's adventure over the course of the last year, and <laughs> now she's gone. This doesn't mean that things have to end and that there still aren't threats to the mortal realm and that there's just because Sabrina's gone, now everything stops. So, okay, so my pitch, season five. Yeah. Uh, not quite a reboot. But a, a bit of a continuation. So it's the chilling adventures of Sabrina, colon, the hereafter. Sabrina Ooh. and Nick are still in the hereafter. Somehow they found a way to maybe communicate with Ambrose or the weird sisters because maybe their powers have grown. And they can see and sense things, different threats coming to Greendale. Because, you know, Greendale is the one that's always getting attacked. Like it's always London and Doctor Who. Sure, sure. <laughs> that's true maybe incorporate it that way so it's not a not so much of sabrina 
as necessarily the main character, but her still communicating with the family. But we see them working together to fight whatever new between two is. different realms, basically. Oh yeah. You know what? I could get behind that. And I would watch that. And I would do a show with you about that. Goddamn right. Goddamn right. <laughs> well, you know what? If they do it, I'll make sure you and I do a re- you'll make sure you and I do a recording and I'm gonna th- and I'm gonna really look forward to that because I'll be honest, I am sad that this is our last Sabrina episode. It's not our last recording, obviously, but it's our last time that we'll probably be talking about Sabrina for either a very long time or forever. Mm-hmm. But I want to tell you that I have really enjoyed these. What have we done on Sabrina? Five episodes, right? Because we did this season in two parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really enjoyed them. I've enjoyed these conversations with you. I hope anyone listening to this has enjoyed our ramblings as well and uh well that's a wrap that's a wrap yeah this has been a lot of fun this all started because uh it's a show you love and i hadn't watched it yet so figured what the fuck why not and totally love it uh i give the show a strong eight out of ten rewatchability is high up there i mean you know it's yeah. it's an easy show to rewatch. It's a fun show to rewatch. It's enjoyable. It's got its cheesy yeah. moments that I will yeah. always love. That CW vibe that they never quite could <laughs> get away from. That's true. And in in terms of character development, I went from hating Harvey to being like, all right, fine. You don't suck that bad. Hey, hey, hey. It only took four <laughs> seasons to get there, right? <laughs> That's all. And you know, me, same thing. Um as far as this show goes out of 10, honestly, I would give it a nine. Um, maybe, you know what, maybe even a, a, maybe even a solid 10. I would probably, you know, it maybe not, it's not a perfect show, but that's not why I'm would say I'm giving it a 10. I'm not saying I'm giving it a 10 because it's perfect. I like the show because of its imperfections though. Exactly. That's the thing. And it takes, a special kind of group of people to be able to write a show where you could still appreciate it for the things that you would do differently, because that's what makes good talk. That's what makes good discussion. I like yelling at my TV saying, why are you doing this? Because that shows that I am involved and invested in this program. Exactly. So maybe there, are, and it has its campy and corny moments and it has singing that's completely unnecessary, but I have never watched a show that I have loved rewatching so much just so I could keep going back and yelling at it. Um, so Sabrina, I'm going to give it anywhere between a nine and a 10 rewatchability, 100%. And uh, I recommend it to anybody who just wants to have a good time watching a TV show and not take things too seriously. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. So mm-hmm. This has been fun. I can't wait until we figure out our next series or movie to binge. Um, yes. Because we get to start fresh, whole new mm-hmm. slate. It's very yep. exciting. I've already come up with 10,000 different ideas, so we'll have yep. to narrow it down. Perfect. But in the meantime, listeners, uh, thanks for listening and joining us on this journey, this adventure mm-hmm. of Sabrina's and her chilling adventures. Mm-hmm. And Stay safe, everyone, and keep streaming. Bye. Bye, everybody.